You're listening to Panthers on Tap. I'm Curtis Round, joined by Bryson Carbley. We're just two fans sharing our love for the game in Carolina Panthers football. So join us, crack open a cold one, some bubbly, a little wine, some scotch. We don't care whatever makes you sleep better at night. We had to do a big for our last episode of the season. We brought back some of the regulars on our show. We have Kevin Avery from the Four Man Rush, JJ Hardy, also known as Panthers Culture, and Edgar Salmango. All on the same episode. Guys, it is a pleasure to have you all on with us this evening. This season really can be summed up like a Panthers game. They start off hot in the first quarter of the season, hit a snag in the second quarter, and then the wheels fall off in the second half of the year. Just really all around bad this entire season. Uh, really been the story these last two years. Um, I just want to open up the floor because I know this discussion tonight is going to be about the man in charge, and that's Matt Rule. Um, I think I already know the answer to this, um, but should Matt Rule get another swing at this? And whoever wants to start, fire away. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, and get my part out of the way. Um, <clears throat> I absolutely think that he should not get another swing at this. Uh, I think that he's made mistake after mistake after mistake. Um, with this team, showed clear regression in season two um, in a lot of areas. Uh, the defense improved a little bit, but they like to throw around this, you know, second overall ranked defense statistic. But we all watch that defense. We we know that that defense struggled, um, especially stopping the run in a couple games. But, uh, you know, I think that there's so many good uh, potential head coaching candidates out there right now. And you see all these other teams moving on from their coaches, um, the Dolphins doing one of the most idiotic things I can remember firing their head coach, but, um, but other, you know, coaches that have been there for a while and not um, getting fired. And Matt Rule has lost to all of them. <laughs> oh, and seven as uh, Mr. Kevin Avery liked to, liked to point out on Twitter, but um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I'm, I feel very comfortable knowing that Matt Rule isn't the, isn't the guy, isn't the head coach that's going to lead Carolina to the promised land. And I do not think that um, he deserves another season. JJ, fire away. I do not think Matt Rule should get a third season. Um, I'll take a slightly different approach in my explanation. And I explained this on Twitter months ago. The reason I don't think Matt Rule should get another season is, is more about the S's and O's. And I don't, I'm not suggesting that he doesn't know X's and O's. But when I look at, you know, good coaches around the NFL, and, you know, let me not just say good coaches. I'm talking about coaches that challenge for the playoffs and the Super Bowl. And I, I took a look at all the coaches who've made the Super Bowl in the last five seasons. And, and you look at their resumes and their backgrounds, they're all a specialist at something. Either they're former defensive coordinators or their former offensive coordinators and quarterback coaches. And when I look at Matt Rule, I think most of his success is tied to Phil Snow, who's our defensive coordinator. And we have seen the, the defense take some strides in year two. Um, but like Bryson mentioned, they weren't indomitable. You know, you could run on them. I think that was the formula that Matt Rule mentioned, you know, that people had figured out, you know, the way to beat them was to run at the edges. Um, but so he doesn't have his own specialty. He's not an offensive coordinator. He's not a quarterback guru. We are in year two 
we had three starting level quarterbacks. You know, when you look at Teddy Bridgewater, you look at Sam Donald, and I say starting level, but you have Sam Donald and then you have um, Cam, Cam Newton. And nothing they tried with any of those quarterbacks, you know, was really effective. I think Teddy looked the best in this offense, but it was only because Teddy knew the offense for years before he came to Carolina. So Matt Rule doesn't have what it takes to to change a game, in my opinion. He can't make adjustments. He doesn't have any specialty to do that. He's dependent on his staff. And we found out today, you know, he fired like almost all of his staff between Joe Brady weeks ago and then his um his his offensive line coach and special teams coach. And so I think it was defensive line coach too. And so when you look at all the people he's gotten rid of, um, Phil Snow is the only person who really remains with any real specialized experience. And we know he doesn't have any offensive specialty, um, any offensive expertise, I should say. And, and with that said, he would have to bring in an offensive coordinator who probably has a lot more credibility in the NFL than him in order to save his job. And for me, if I was to see the Carolina Panthers turn around offensively next year, I would probably credit that person more than I would credit Matt Rule for the turnaround. So to me, keeping him as some figurehead coach, you know, to me is just, is just, it's senseless. And the short answer, so I won't be long-winded, is no, I don't think he deserves it. Um, you know, based on that, based on the lack of having specialized experience, based on the lack of not being able to directly impact the outcome of a game. And I think the best coaches in the NFL today, when you look at the ones who are winning perennially, they all can do that. Just a quick follow-up, make this quick. Wouldn't he get credit for hiring that guy? For hiring the offensive coordinator yeah. to, to be determined? Because it seems I like mean, he's going to be the one calling the shots on that from Fitter's press conference. I mean, I, I, yes, he would get credit for it because we heard that he's in charge of it, right? So if he hits on it, that's outstanding. But, I mean, I think, any one of us five people can hit on a good offensive coordinator as long as the good offensive coordinator is willing to be on our team, right? So we can't credit somebody from looking at a resume that's obvious. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, the biggest thing is getting that person to agree to come to a situation that's uncertain. Um, but no, I won't give him a lot of credit for finding a really good offensive coordinator. I would just say he got grace from his owner for being allowed to do so. Gotcha. Okay. Edgar? Thoughts on Matt Rule? Should he get that third year? Or maybe the other question is, is why is he still here sort of thing? But go ahead. Yeah, I mean, Bryson and JJ, I agree with them both. First of all, thank you for having me back. And, um, you know, this this roundtable, this, this virtual roundtable of, of illustrious guys, I sometimes I always don't feel worthy. But, you know, JJ and Kevin, I have a lot of respect for. I haven't met them before, but we've interacted on Twitter. But obviously, it's always been a pleasure working with you, Curtis and Bryson. Um, you know, like, I, I don't want to pile on. I think we, I think we're generally on the same page on this. Uh, I kind of want to take a different slant on here. Um, you know, Adam Schefter put out a tweet that, Hey, you know, of all the teams that haven't made the playoffs, you know, within the last two years, all their coaches are gone. Right. And there's, there stands Matt rule. So like at the end of the day, whether you like him or not, I don't, I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't think he's like evil. I think what we've seen with urban Meyer, like, you know, like, Oh my gosh, I'm really cringe. I don't worry about Matt rule doing something you know, terrifying or, or terrible, right? 
Um, but like, let's remember, you know, one, he's the sixth highest paid head coach, right? So like you're expecting a lot and quickly. I know he has a seven year deal, but he's getting paid more than Arians, more than Tomlin, more than all these folks. So like our expectations are higher. So if you were like the lowest paid guy, fine. Like we're, we're, we're investing in a guy who has no experience, right? He's learning on the job. That's cool. But when you start to get paid, you know, there's no salary cap for coaches, then we have expectations, right? And that's just fair. If we suck at our jobs, if our job is to do something and we suck, someone has to hold us accountable and say, you're terrible or else this whole business, this organization is a joke. And that's what it's come down to, right? Um, what was he brought in for, right? So we knew coming in, because I have, I have rule defenders in my mentions, right? They say like, oh, what are you expecting from him? He doesn't know, he's from college, right? He's like, was he supposed to win the Super Bowl this year? Someone even said, he was slated to win seven and a half games this year. He won five. Shouldn't we give him credit? Well, I was like, shouldn't he have won seven and a half games at the, at the minimum? Is that the least we expecting? And so one, he was expected to come in and be a culture builder, the CEO, right? He's going to, he's going to like take this. He takes programs that are deficient and raise their level, right? Has he done that? I'd argue no. And that's what he was meant to be here. He's not the offensive coordinator. He's not the defensive coordinator. I know some coaches do that. In fact, on top of that, he's a GM, he's in charge of personnel, makes the final say. And on all those metrics, like he hasn't been very good. And so even if I wanted to defend him, which I told somebody, I don't even know what I could say if I was his lawyer, if I was his agent trying to say like, hey, this is a this Stand guy. by. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, hey, this guy has a lot to, this guy has done a lot. You're, you're overlooking some things. Like if, if I didn't have those expectations, if he didn't have this salary, if he wasn't bought, if we weren't told to buy into him being a cultural builder, Again, Cam in his press conference, even yesterday, touched upon it. Not everyone's bought in from the top to the bottom. People are going through the motions. And I think all of this is starting to come out. Joe Person's explosive article. People are really quickly understanding that, like, what the bill of goods that we're supposed to buy, we're not getting our investment. We're not getting the return on investment that we're paying for this. And so imagine if this was your money. And that's why fans are so frustrated. So, like, we invested time, energy, buying jerseys, coming to games, right? We invested a lot. And you're telling me, you're trying to sell me that this is the guy that in year three, oh, this is the process that it's supposed to happen. I would argue that you're not, you're not selling me what I thought I was buying. Kevin? Well, for me, I have to break it down in two different forms here. Personally, as a fan, for my own selfish reasons, uh, Matt Rude does not deserve uh, another moment being considered a resident of Charlotte, North Carolina. Hmm. Um, I think he probably is a great guy, probably someone cool to hang out with. But as far as coach of my favorite NFL team, um, as a fan, I'm, I'm so done with him for so many reasons that we honestly don't have the time to go through um, my list of gripes and crimes committed by Matt Rule. Um, and the reason why I say my reasons as personal reasons. I mean, just from 2020 should have been a launch pad for him to build upon this upcoming season. Um, you know, the whole debacle with, you know, trading Teddy, trading Sam, fifth year option before even an OTA practice, um, signing Cam Irvin and Pat Efline day one of free agency. Um, you know, I mean, if he's got final sound personnel, I mean, his fingerprints are on it too, you know, allowing Fitterer to trade down and bypass eight quality linemen 
um, in the draft that have, I think, what, six of them are getting significant um, minutes um, here. Uh, the fact that a Pro Bowl and Rashawn Slater wasn't even on his draft board because his arms were too short, you know. Um, Trey Smith, you know, wasn't on his draft board. I mean, yeah, okay, I get medical reasons, but Arton, Arton six seven-round picks gambles anyway. You know, if you're going to shoot your shot. Um, you know, the, the musical chairs, you know, you're taking a career left guard and Deontay Brown trying to make him a right guard. You're taking a career left tackle and Brady Christensen trying to make him a right guard. I mean, you just, you know, Moten's only played the right side. Brady's only played the left side. But yet you thought for one game it was cool to switch him, have Moten play right tackle and have Bra- um, Moten play left tackle and have – uh, Christian play right tackle. I mean, it's just to try to convince us that this is logical football is what's infuriating me. Yeah, I'm a trench guy. Um, love the trenches, so I, I probably take it more personal than I should. But just his crimes against what's done in the trenches on both sides uh, really um, is uh, really my gripe. And I know we're on a time limit, so I'm going to try to limit here but as a fan that's my own selfish reasons why I, I don't think he deserves the only part of me that can stomach putting up with him and Donald another year is that I know that a Matt Rule coach team with Sam Donald at quarterback will guarantee the Carolina Panthers the number one overall pick in the 2023 <laughs> NFL draft which will put us in perfect position to uh, not only have a new head coach, a new coaching staff, it allow us to have option of either Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud as quarterback. Um, if I was Tepper this offseason, whatever moves you make, do not touch the 2023 draft picks, you know, because you might not be here to see, you know, you know, here, don't don't steal the pot from the next man because, you know, you on your last leg. Uh, I don't know how he can tell it in a way of, without letting her know, like, you're a lame duck coach. But, you know, at the end of the day, that could be my only reason to stomach rule and Donald one more year because I know that that would give us the clean slate um, to really just blow up this roster, really, and and just get a fresh start. Um, rule, this is better in college. Uh, this whole RAS-induced mind frame that he could just take the best athletes and – coach them up and they are performing at the NFL level, it's not working. It's not working. Um, you know, you know, Cam Irving at left tackle, hell bent to keep him playing there is just asinine. Like, what, because he's long and fast and how many of us can say, ooh, Cam Irving knocked the hell out of that guy on, on that play? Not once. You know, um, Pat Eflin did not stink as much at center as he did at guard, but my God, if you watch the All-22, it was like small turds instead of big turds. You know what I'm saying? So for me, um, for just all those reasons right there enough that I'm I'm so done with Rick Rule. And, and then to try to use a Jay-Z reference to, to – that was just the icing on the cake. Like, what? Oh. No, no, no. See, now you're trying to play us for for incompetent. You're trying to get on our cool side uh, or whatever. First of all, when the last time you heard someone say play that new Jay-Z for one? 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I, I'm just saying. So using a Jay-Z reference, no, I, I'm not buying that. You know, you're known for throwing coffee on your face and running through tackling dummies as motivation. That was what, <laughs> quote, got you your coaching gigs the way you're at. Take that back with you to the NCAA and God bless you and your family. As a human being, I wish you nothing but well. Enjoy all this money you got from Tupper. Live your live your best life, but I need you to get the hell up out of Charlotte exactly at least one year from today. Max, Man. that's all I can that's all I can stomach. Man. Well, I'll tell you what, this is gonna be a tough mountain to climb. And I ain't convincing any of you, but I'll give I'll I'll take a crack at it. Um I think three of the reasons why I've been patient, I guess, um, if you want to call it that. Um, one was, I think, why he was hired in the first place, and it's his track record. And I know a lot of people don't like to go back to college, but you look at Temple and Baylor, and he he brought two programs back to life, really, with Temple. Uh, he was 2-10 in 2013, 6-6 six and six in 2014, and 10-2. and two in 2015 and then at Baylor went one and 11 six and six and 11 and one um so just based off that track record you'd have to think that he's in year three is going to turn this turn this thing around so for for the well, that was one of my reasons um I also think no hold on, that, <laughs> I didn't cut anyone into anyone while they were talking give me my time and then you can <laughs> rip me apart I got you. um Secondly, I feel like he inherited an aging team and who had lost a lot. Uh, they finished 5-11 and 11 in 2019. There was three losing seasons in four years after the Super Bowl. They lost Greg Olson, half their line, Greg Van Roten, Trey Turner. Trey Turner was a trade, Daryl Williams. They lost three or four guys on the defensive line, Mario Addison, Gerald McCoy, Bruce Irvin. Uh, they lost four uh, guys in the secondary, James Bradbury, Russ Cockrell, Eric Reed, I'd say just three, and then Luke Keekley retired. That was a lot to take over um, in your first year coming out. And then, so in that year, they, I, I believe Carolina was the second or was either the first youngest roster in the NFL that year in 2020. He dealt with COVID. He didn't have he, he had a disadvantage as a, a college coach because college coaches typically are newer coaches have get an advantage coming up into the NFL or as a new coach. He didn't get that with COVID. So I, I scratched 2020 uh, for his resume. So I'm currently looking at this year. Um, and I felt like Matt Rule had built built a defense out of this team. In 2020, this defense was god-awful. I mean, ground, bare bones, terrible. Like, uh, hard to stomach, no faith, nothing in the defense whatsoever at any point in the season. They were terrible. They, had, they, they turned it on late in that 2020 season once they got their footing and guys got acclimated in the system. But that defense was terrible. It wasn't like a few years prior when you could really trust that defense to hold on, hold, hold a team. And this year, I felt like they made a jump. And we can debate that all we want. 
but you cannot tell me that this defense was is not better this year than they were last year and considerably better. Um, and just looking at statistically, I, I tweeted this out on our account. Um, they're better in yards. They were ranked 18th in pass yards allowed last year. They're second. Where did they heavily invest the most in this past offseason? In the secondary. So you're seeing the results there. Rush defense, that's where they've struggled. And, and, and I feel like some of the guys they brought in are not I'm, I, as much as we love Hassan Reddick, though some of those guys on the edges are uh, not doing a very good job containing on the outside. And me and Bryson have talked about this time and time again. And I think that has been some of their struggles this year with rushing. They improved in sacks. Uh, they went from 23 to 15. I still think they could take a bigger leap there. And then they only went up by two in interceptions um, or went up by what two interceptions. But I think overall, I feel like the defense has improved and they've invested the most on that side of the ball. So I'm, I like to see what Matt rule does heavily investing in an offense. Cause I don't think he's done it. Um, his biggest knock for me has been his evaluation at quarterback. Um, I don't know how much say he had in Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know how much that was Marty Herney. I don't know how much that was Matt rule. He definitely had a say. Um, and then also his evaluation of Sam Darnold, which I thought was piss poor. I'll be the first one to say that they never should have traded for him. Um, it set this franchise back and I understand the reason why fans want him out. And I, and if they, if they would let him go in some surprise move the next week, which I have a hard time believing they will, I wouldn't be too sour about it because there are, again, everything you guys mentioned is, um, is, is good reasons too. Um, but I just am, I'm willing to see Matt rules three year process of, Hey, I turn around a program in three years and I want to see if he can do it in this next year. And I want to see it through. And that's kind of where I'm at. And yeah, now let's open it up. There's you guys don't have to mute and let's just talk. Let's just discuss. We don't need to go back and forth, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with uh good old Matt. Curtis, let me ask you a question and it's not to debate because I'm not a, a big time debater. But I do want to get some insight on, on who you think Matt Rue can come in, you know, can bring in here, can hire as an OC um, to, to work under him. You know, somebody that like a rock star, like they mentioned, like I think it was quoted as that, you know, like he has to find a rock star OC. So like how many rock star offensive coordinators out there, you know, with NFL pedigree, I assume, that would be willing to come in and bring their rock star system, their scheme, and fit that within whoever Matt Rule is. Like Matt Rule came out and said, like, I want to run the ball, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in 2022, this modern NFL isn't about running the football. It's a QB driven league. So how many rock star QBs are going to come in focused on running the football? Right. And so in addition to that, 
I imagine that Rockstar QB, that Rockstar OC, you know, has a certain blocking scheme. And this is probably more for Kevin to expound on. But when I think about this stuff, I'm always thinking like, like you know, I like certain types of offenses, right? Um, I like Mervais offense. I like Shanahan's offense. It all mm-hmm. derives from the Mike Shanahan system, the West Coast stuff from Bill Walsh. But right now, the way that they run that scheme, I think is a zone blocking scheme, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, you have to have an offensive line coach who fits within whoever that offensive coordinator is, right? So you won't just be hiring the offensive coordinator. You have to give that person, I would think, some leeway to 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 find the right type of offensive line coach that that's compatible with who they are scheme-wise. Mm-hmm. And so by the time you give somebody that much control over what the identity of the team is, I really think any turnaround in year three, you know, I mean, the defense is set. You know, like I won't say it's set, but the defensive pieces are there. We saw improvement. Um, but like Bryson mentioned, it, there's still room to improve in certain areas. But I think the biggest turnaround would be on offense. So in lieu of them finding some superstar quarterback to come in and totally just take the world by storm, I think a lot of the improvements on offense would be attributed to the offensive coordinator who's a rock star already. And I think more people in the fan base, I know at least I will, I would gravitate towards that person um, as the savior more so than Matt Rule. And so the part that irritates me um, as a, as a, as a person analyzing the situation more so than a fan um, is that if they do turn around, I'm going to be happy because I love to win football games as a fan, right? I, I like the winning feeling on Mondays, but I'm going to be a little irritated when the narrative shifts to Matt rule year three, just like temple, just like Baylor, you know, starts, you know, bursting out of the, of the Monday morning airwaves because I don't think it will be him who would turn it around. I think it would be whoever this rock star person would be or could be. I disagree so, uh, with you on that. I disagree. I mean, I, I know, but that I just <laughs> Matt I just, rules the leader and he's calling the shots. If it's going to, he's going to live by, if he's going to, if he's going to die on the sword, he's also going to live. He's also going to live when he's hiring these guys too. I don't, I just, I don't think, I don't, I don't, I don't think Matt rule. And I look, I think somebody mentioned it earlier. I think it might have been Kevin. No, I think it was Edgar. I really think Matt Rule as a dude is probably a cool dude, right? Um, I don't have any qualms with him. People don't know this. I I talked to Robbie Anderson's mom a lot, right? You know, she's come onto the show when Bobby and I used to go live, you know, last year. So, you know, she's she is she shared some things about Matt Rule that as a guy, I know why Robbie Anderson loved. I know why he loves him. Right. I think he's a genuine guy for his guys. I mean, that's why we got like 50 temple people on our team. Right. Um, He is extremely loyal to his people. And I think that's a really endearing trait. Ron Rivera was really loyal to his guys. He still is. I don't think that makes you a great coach. Right. And I think Matt Rule at this level I'm not even certain he's a great NFL leader. I just think he's a good guy. And I think guys who he talks to, I think guys that he really goes to bat for, I think they really trust him. Like Sam Donald would have to love Matt Rule right now because he loves Sam Donald, right? 
I think his guys love him. You know, Hassan Reddick. Um, look at what he did for PJ Walker today. You know, like, you know, gave him a new deal. He gave Colin Thompson a new deal. What about Brian Burns, though? What about Brian Burns, though? He came from Ron Rivera's system. Brian Burns is a first-round draft pick. He is in a – he's a potentially elite edge in his third season. Like, you don't just move on from that. You know, like, it's not – he don't – that's not being loyal. That's being smart. Yeah, but he spoke right. up for Matt Rule is what I'm saying in press I mean, conferences. But just, but, and if but, we're going to take press conferences like like they're everything in the book, not, we do with they, Matt Rule, we do with Matt Rule, they, then you got to take it for the players as well. You no, can't look, play both sides of the coin. So when Brian way. Burns goes into a press conference and says, I 100% believe in Matt Rule, you got to take, so, take something out of that. Listen, you're not? I'll say this. When Matt Rule had his introductory press conference, in January of 2020, or whenever it was, dude almost ran out of my house because I, I believed in what he preached, right? I believe the dude gets into a room. I think he understands the art of coaching. I think he has great coaching oratory skills. I think he's a compelling and convincing person, right, in a room. But I think that's all he is, right? I don't think he actually has the ability, like, Brian, like, um, Matt Rule is not there working with Brian Burns on, on pass rushing techniques and drills. You know, he's not going over scheme with him. He might be in a room with Phil Snow or, you know, defensive line coach or whoever coaches Brian Burns. I think they see Matt Rule like we see Matt Rule. Like, I think Kevin mentioned, like, I think he'd be a great guy to have a beer with, right? I don't think that they hate him. But you're also looking at people and players. Brian Burns might be the exception. Um, because of his rookie deal he's on. But you got guys who everybody is probably on the trade block in some capacity this offseason, right? You're basically having essay interviews with players on their way into uncertainty about their future. Now, I don't think there's anybody safe on this roster. Probably Sam Donald, of all people, might be the safest because of this guarantee, <laughs> which is the crazy and ironic part of the situation. But when you look at all these other players, they have one draft pick in the first two days of the draft. To me, the most tradable people on this team are Brian Burns uh-huh. and DJ Moore. <clears throat> so when I'm sitting around thinking that I got a brother who's a hype man for the team, I got a whole lot of stuff, you know, like tied to what's going on in Charlotte right now. And I don't know if I'm going to be a prime trade candidate. Yeah, I'm going to talk favorably of the guy who has 100% control of, you know, roster decisions. So I don't put much weight into what these players say in press conferences. I don't care what Dante Jackson says. I don't care what Brian Burns says. I don't care what Hassan Reddick says or Robbie Anderson, especially Robbie Anderson, who got paid after really his best year and didn't do half of that this year. Like, why wouldn't I love that man, right? And so I don't put much stock into that. I'm not saying that it's invalid. I'm just saying that when you're talking to people who know that their career lies in the hands of the person who makes all the roster decisions, you think I'm going to get up in front of a camera with him around the, around the corner and say something crazy about it? No. The only person who could keep it real was the person who knew that wouldn't stand. Number one. Number one, Cam Newton. When Cam Newton got up there and said that this identity hadn't been bought into by a lot of guys in the locker room, 
that was it. Like, I mean, that was the soundbite of the whole year. Because if I'm evaluating the coach, if I'm the owner, Cam Newton is the most experienced person on this team. It's crazy. He's 32 years old. I don't think there's an older person on this roster than Cam Newton, besides J.J. Jansen, I guess. But Cam Newton, with all the respect that he garners in Charlotte, all the coaches talk favorably of his leadership skills and what he meant for the locker room. He got in front of the press yesterday and said, nobody is really bought in. That's telling, bro. And so, yeah, if, if there's anybody I'm listening to in terms of players talking about the coaches, what is what Cam said. Now, Cam has talked favorably about Matt, about Matt Rule. I thought he has gone above and beyond to protect Matt Rule, right? I think two weeks ago he got out and said, you know, Matt Rule isn't the one making the plays on the field, it's the players, you know? You know, he's, he's an excellent coach or whatever he might have said. That's just out of respect and, that, and that's professionalism. But, bro, no, I don't give any credence to what these guys are saying on their way out the door not knowing where their future is going to be next year. You wouldn't talk bad about your boss. Yeah, I agree. I'm not saying that these guys are going out. I get that point. I still think there is some way to it. But go ahead, Edgar. No, I'm just going to say that, like, I believe Brian Burns. Like, when he says, like, I like Matt Rule or I believe in Matt Rule 100%, I don't doubt him. But, like, JJ's right. It's a position of power. I I hate to say it, you know, like, what JJ said, talk about your boss. You know, like, it's different. You could speak your mind when you're in a position of power, right? Cam is in a position of power. He's not, doesn't owe any, anything. I really do think he likes Matt. Like, like JD said, people, these people owe, uh, he owes Matt Rule a little bit because he brought him back. He sucked it up. He took the embarrassment and brought him back. And so at some level, Cam also likes Matt. Uh, at the end of the day, I, I, like we talked about it many times, it's, it's the issue is not Matt Rule, the great guy, the personality. It's Matt Rule, the coach. And what I, what I tweeted today, like, I think it's fair to question, does he know how to evaluate NFL talent, both coaches and players, right? And so he's, his handprints are all over this team. And, and I agree with you, Curtis, like he inherited a bad team, right? And I always question, I always fight back with this question, how come this team seemed like it regressed this year? I give him, you know, there was COVID last year, fine. Um, he inherited this bad team, Luke left, everybody left, fine. But shouldn't they be better this year than last year then? And I get it. McCaffrey no, I agree. Injured. That's what's hard to defend, man. Yeah. That's and what's and hard when to I defend. say go back to college, I'm not, I, it's very easy to in, interpret that as an insult. But to be a great college coach is also a really hard thing to do. And maybe his, his system, that a thousand, his process that a thousand percent works, like, I think he really believes in his process, maybe really good for college. Just draft really good athletes, talk them up, make them feel like they could run through a wall and they could win, but that doesn't fly in the NFL. You need strategy. You need to think one step ahead of people, right? You need to have adjustments in a game. And so for the two years that I've seen it, I haven't even seen that potential starting to like, I haven't seen those flashes of potential or brilliance from Matt Rule. If he did, you know, I would like that. And, and, and the defense argument, I've heard that too. Like, hey, at least the defense is good. That's a rebuild, right? Shouldn't we hang our hat on that? I would argue, didn't it seem like they kind of underperformed this, this season? Like uh-huh. if they had a, a Brian Flores, a, a, a top-notch defensive coordinator, do you think this defense could actually have been better this year with a better, like there was a, a, a clip that Brian Baldinger put out uh, yesterday that the, the, the Bucks ran the exact same play to Gronkowski and, the, and it was the exact same. It's like, it's like playing Madden. I'll run the exact same play and I'll, I'll beat you again with the same play. And so again, his system may work at the college level. That's not an insult. It's not like, Hey, I hate you. You're college. It's just like maybe that system really is meant for college. And this NFL, 
is just a little bit too above your 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 level and it's not a, an offense it's not saying like hey you're i hate you even though that's how we tweet but maybe his he's really really good at that game but not this game i'm really good at one game doesn't mean it translates to the other games that are very similar well okay, like you said you know and, and kevin mentioned it earlier you know he's a ras guy right you know he likes explosive athletes um i think he had that in common with marty herney but i think he's that's more of his core as a personnel guy. And at the college level, I think when he was able to find those guys, you know, who might've been diamonds in the rough, but they had all these insane athletic metrics. Um, you put that type of athlete, especially on defense with a guy like Phil Snow. And at the college level, you unleash that. And it's like, oh my God, like, you know, these guys are making game changing plays um, at the college level. Because in most conferences, especially in the conferences he played in, um, you know, Temple's conference, I don't even know what it is. It's crazy because I don't watch Temple ball, you know, but Baylor in the Big 12, like they're not known for defenses, right? So he went out there and did something different than everybody else was doing. And, you know, after being able to draft a few, you know, classes, that's the third year situation, right? You know, getting those type of athletes in and now, you know, you compounding those type of athletes and you putting them in that scheme, you know, by that third year, you know, you are yielding some, some results not championship level results, you know, not bowl winning results, but but results that's good enough to beat the bad teams and beat the teams you're supposed to beat. That's college. In the NFL, like everybody has a roster full of Raz freaks, right? You know, like everybody knows that. You know, nobody's drafting, you know, the the, the horrible Raz athletes and the the least explosive guys. So every roster has a roster full of freaks. I mean, look at Devin White from Tampa. Like that dude is the middle linebacker. He runs like a four-four. Like that's an equalizer, you know. And and you got guys like that on every roster in the NFC South, you know, where your athletes aren't just going to be better than the guys across from them. You have to have scheme, like Edgar mentioned. You have to have adjustments in game. Like I heard, and I don't know if you pay attention to this, but um, what's the new guy's name? Jeff, um, what's the offensive coordinator? I can't Nixon. think of his name. Nixon. Nixon. Yeah, Jeff Nixon. Jeff Nixon, when he came in and he was talking about his first game calling plays and stuff, he said, what we notice is that, you know, with our third quarter poor performances is that we didn't start making adjustments until we got to halftime. And halftimes in the NFL are really, really quick. So you don't have a lot of time to make those adjustments at halftime. So we learned that we have to start making adjustments in the late second quarter. Like, bro, it took y'all a year and a half to figure that out. Like... <laughs> Come on, man. Like, you should have figured that out after we didn't make adjustments last year in Chicago or something. You know, like, it's midway, almost the end of your second season, and now you're admitting that, wow, you know, like, halftimes go by really fast, and we don't get a chance to make adjustments. And we come out and have laid eggs for two straight years in the third quarter. Mm -hmm. Last year, I thought it was Teddy. You know, and I'm a big, I was a big Teddy guy. You know, so I was like, man, like this dude just can't figure out how to score points in the third quarter. Like, what's up? You know, and all this defending I'm doing, like, it, it, that's a bad thing. You know, it might turn it on in the fourth, make the game close at the end. But I really thought it was something about the way he played football. Fast forward to this year, I think Sam Donald's first or second game, the dude came out like with like a crazy quarterback rating in the first half. You know, he, he was playing almost flawless football threw like over 200 yards in the first half. He threw like 30 something yards for the rest of the game. 
How is that possible? And people was like, oh, Jay, you know, like, why are you upset with the wins, man? Like, we won. Like, you should be happy. I was like, bro, I'm watching some bad football. I can't put my finger on it. And we get kind of lost in winning. But what we're seeing on the field, like New York almost came back and beat us in week one. You know, the game against the Saints, if the Saints just didn't play horrible and had all those people missing, they would have beat us too. And then in Houston, like Davis Mills almost put us out of our misery. And somehow, you know, after losing Chris McCaffrey, like Sam channeled into good Sam. And that was probably like our best second half performance all year was against the Houston Texans in week three. And honestly, I can't even say anything good about the overall offense after the Dallas game, right? The Dallas game was pretty decent considering he threw two interceptions that broke our back. But after the Dallas game, I can't remember like really good offensive football involving Sam Donald after that game. Um, Cam played, a, I think, a pretty good game in Washington and they had a good collective game in, in Arizona between PJ and Cam. But outside of those two games, I don't remember like any kind of offensive football that I really wanted to be like, you know, like excited about. Like, after, like, I, like I feel when I watch other teams play. Like it seems like we play in a different league offensively than other, not even other good teams, not just any old team. Like I see Minnesota sometimes look like juggernauts. Like I haven't seen us look like that, click like that for a full 60 minutes all year long. Um, so that that's that's something that I don't think Matt Rule himself, and not just to be focused on him, but just where we are in terms of watching football as Panthers fans. You know, this has been years, you know, since it's been like this, you know? Um, so like at what point do we just want something innovative. Like Dave, I mean, Dave Tepper said this last year, y'all. Dave Tepper said he wanted like innovative offense. You know, he didn't really know what, what type of coach he was going to pick, but he mentioned innovative offense. I think he said events of old school and new school or something like that and analytics and blah, 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 blah. But the one thing I thought that we would definitely walk away with after the head coach search last year was somebody who really knew offensive football. And I didn't know Matt Rule enough then to say that he didn't. So I was excited, you know, because people made me excited about it. But after learning his limitations, I was like, well, I mean, I, I guess we were kind of putting everything on Joe Brady at that time because Joe Brady was the, the one to kind and he might bring that innovation and, and all that stuff. But it's always been disjointed. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, what I want is a coach for the future. And I mean, and we probably won't get this, but I'm just telling you what I want and I'm gonna move off of this and I'll be quiet. But what I would like is to bring in a coach who has a system that's QB proof, right? Even if we got to rock with Sam Donald next year, I would like to see him put in an offense that elevates him to play whatever his best ball may look like. You don't have to commit to him beyond next year. But whatever, whatever that best ball may look like, I want it to be an offense that if you move on from Sam Donald, you plug in a rookie, that the rookie can look efficient in it, right? Like I saw McVay win with Goff. I saw McVay win with Goff's backup. I can't even remember the dude's name. I saw Shanahan win with the dude that backed up Garoppolo last year. 
like he made these guys look efficient. Um, and I don't always, uh, you know, attribute that to, to, you know, to, to everything that the quarterback um, is doing. I think it's the offensive scheme that schemes up open receivers that has good offensive line and runs, you know, r- rushing lanes where you have average no name running backs getting a thousand yards. Like, man, like you need, Elijah Mitchell in San Francisco was a six-round pick. And the dude looks elite because of what he plays in. But if we lose our running back, it's like, oh, hell, call the season. Because we can't do nothing else. Like, that's sick, you know, at the NFL level, man. So we got to be better than that. We got to bring in somebody who actually knows how to coach offensive football. So even if, you know, you don't keep your quarterback, he can room and and put that quarterback in that system. That's and that and that quarterback can make it. Like three years ago, I think it was three years ago, four years ago, whatever it was, when Philly went to the Super Bowl, bro Carson Wentz was playing the best ball of his life that year, and he went down. And Nick Foles, who was no bum, stepped into that offense, ran that offense probably better than than Carson Wentz had been running it, and ran the table and went all the way to the Super Bowl and beat Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. And for whatever Doug Peterson isn't, him and Frank Wright had something going good at that point in time. That's the stuff I like. And that's the reason why you can take a guy like, it was his name, Nick Sirianni, mm-hmm. who went with Frank Wright to Indy, and now he's back in Philly. And he's winning football games with Jalen Hurts. A lot of people thought Jalen couldn't even play ball, you know, and maybe for other reasons. But he's winning football games with guys that people didn't think could win football games in the NFL. He knows offense. And so I, I, I want somebody like that. And um, I don't know if I'm going to get it. I guess if Matt Rule hires that guy, we'll get it. But but I don't like having to be dependent on that because what if Matt Rule hires a young guy who has all the things that we want? What happens next season? Somebody hires that guy from us. So Matt Rue has to go hire another guy. Yeah. But well, let's, pose, let's pose that to everyone. Get some Kevin and Bryson here. They haven't talked in a while. So let's – guys, what, what do you think – so Jay Glazer this weekend, everyone – this whole situation is weird with the, the mixed messaging and all. But the NFL Network, ESPN say Matt Rule's back for another year. Jay Gray says not – or Jay Glazer says not so fast – Matt Rule has to hire a rock star at OC. Who is this rock star candidate? Who do you guys like? And we'll start with Bryson and then go to Kevin. What what do you guys see? Is it this young, up-and-coming star? Or is it a veteran, veteran-type veteran offensive coordinator who's been in the league, in the NFL? So I, I wanted to um, <clears throat> mention one thing that JJ said or mentioned, and that was um, David Tepper. Uh, <clears throat> I think he's getting a, a huge pass in the situation that we're currently in. And um, he's not getting talked talked about enough because I remember a couple weeks ago, a report came out that he was embarrassed by this contract. He gave Matt rule um, that, you know, he, he, he just, you know, he was embarrassed and um, <clears throat> he hasn't come out and officially um, said, yeah, Matt rules getting another year. And I think the only reason he is, possibly getting another year is because David Tepper is afraid to admit that he was wrong. And he gave 
a college coach, a seven-year, $60 million contract that had no proven record in the NFL, very little coaching uh, history in the NFL. And I think that that right there is, is the reason Matt Rule may be getting another year because you can't say that Matt Rule is getting another year because of the progress he's shown year to year or whatever uh, because he hasn't shown any. Um, so I, I think David Tepper should be getting a lot more heat than he is. And um, I just – I, I want to hold him accountable as well. But um, the offensive coordinator, uh, I think uh, – I've, I've said on Twitter multiple times – I think the perfect guy to hire for this situation is Pep Hamilton. Um, I think he's, he's, he has a proven record in, in the league. Um, he's, he's been the quarterback's coach, you know, with Andrew Luck, Justin Herbert, and this season with Davis Mills, who arguably was the best rookie quarterback this season, um, which is shocking, Davis Mills. Um, Pep, Pep Hamilton has been a head coach in the XFL. Um, he's, he's, I believe he's been an offensive coordinator before in the league. And, um, and and he's just worked with these quarterbacks um, that g- show great growth. And and like I mentioned, Davis Mills, arguably the best rookie quarterback this year, who nobody expected to be. Uh, and I, I think Pep Hamilton has has a lot to do with that. And I think that he he could come in and be that offensive guru slash quarterback whisperer slash everything that Matt Rule isn't. So. Um, I think that Pep Hamilton would be the home run hire for for offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. Before Kevin jumps in, JJ, I'm sorry, I don't think I've ever I answered your question when you asked about the the Rockstar OC. I think Matt Rule, one of his biggest blunders was not having someone on offense or defense with NFL experience, like heartily in the NFL for a long time. And I think that is what they need for this team offensively. And I just want, I want a guy, I want a coach and you talked about it, JJ, who makes halftime adjustments, who in the third quarter, isn't one of the, the 31st, 32nd ranked team in the third quarter, because the second and third quarter were the worst quarters for the Panthers this year. First quarter, they're one of the best teams defensively, offensively, they scored all the time and they held teams to no points on the first drive, which is not very likely to do in the NFL. And then everything else was just, non-existent so if if i that's who i want i want someone who's been in the nfl who's called plays i want someone who's called plays who's had to make adjustments in game and right now just based off the list is bill o'brien just based off the list and i know there's some flack last night during that game in the fourth quarter the deep passes when you know he could have maybe went short so there's but you're always going to get that in any coach of people are going to be disagreeing with their play calls, but I think they need someone who has had NFL experience for a longer period of time as an offensive coordinator. And I think Bill O'Brien would be that guy. I'm, I'm hesitant with like the Sean Ryan type because he was a QB coach for a long time. I, I, they need someone who is called plays and, and even, It even goes to the guy in uh, Los Angeles. I don't believe he, I think he's like the passing game coordinator or something like that. Joe Brady was that. So um, I do think they need someone who has been in the NFL for a, for a long time. And let's go to Kevin. Um, As far as this this whole theory of a, a rock star, are you buying question. that, Kevin? Are you buying that? Do you think like 
Matt Rule is here and he's not going anywhere. Do you, is there, because it's this wet, the messaging is so fucked up right now. It really is. Me, I, I think, if, if let's just, let's take it for his worth. Let's just say that it was put out by David Tepper that he has to find a rock star OC to keep his job. When you define rock star OC, any, any rock star OC that's worth his weight is going to look at our situation and be like, hell no. Is it fair to say that Bill O'Brien has a better quarterback to work with at Alabama than he would be coming here? I would say, yeah. I would take Bryce Young fresh off the game last night and prep him if we had another game <laughs> and, and feel more confident than I would in Sam Donald. All 195 pounds of them. Yes, I would, without any hesitation. Um, that's 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 just that's just the honesty of it. Um as far as this whole thing, so I think that's just a plain word because, I mean, look at the factors that offense coordinator coming to. You stuck with a lamed up Sam Donald. Salary cap is, eh, we're looking about, what, maybe 40, 45 million, but we got 25 free agents. Um, 13 different offensive line combinations out of, what, 17 games. It's just like what what is about it that a rock star feel like that he could do that would be worth his while to come here. Um, you have the positional players though in place. I mean, you have the DJ Moore, you got the Robbie, you got the CMC if he's ever fucking healthy. Like you got some of those those pieces that a lot of teams are still searching for. I mean, off, I mean, the two biggest ones are still needed, but I mean, that's, there's yeah, something still, there, but you still had three quarters of skill players that with Teddy Bridgewater got a thousand yards all purpose each. You still had the only person was missing was uh, Curtis Samuel. You still had those three and you see how much it regressed with the quarterback situation. That's why, you know, the comments about, you know, Rob Anderson not doing good. Well, hell, if Sam Donald's your quarterback, how well would your numbers be? Um, you know, and this, again, this is just my personal um, personal assessment of it. Uh, you know, what, 12 games, 16 turnovers with us this season? Same thing he did with the Jets. Same thing he did at USC. As a skill player here, how confident are you? You know, again, you look at the teams that's doing well right now, they got solid trench play, you know, happening. We could have all pros at the skills, but if these trenches ain't right, it means absolutely nothing. And I, so I think that a, a rock star offense coordinator has to look at that because you got to block long enough to let these skill players run these fancy play designs that your rock star resume demands, right? I mean, when the last time we had a tight end lead lead us in, in receiving? Olsen. When the last time we had two 100-yard receivers? 2018, when we start off six and two. <laughs> I mean, so when we're really talking about, you know, as JJ was talking about, you know, big offensive explosions under Matt Rule, I mean, even with the circumstances that, you know, Bryson was talking about, you know, with COVID and everything, we've, we've, it's, it's been damn near bone dry, you know? Um, it, I, I just think that without it being defined, quote, what a rock star OC is, 
I just think that that's just a setup because if that's the criteria for him to hold on to his job, <laughs> I think the writing is more on the wall than we think. Um, and I personally, I don't mind David Tepper not immediately coming out on Black on Black Monday and saying anything. Um, Bryce, I know that you mentioned that as you know holding him responsible, and I get that to a certain degree. But you know, you don't make sixteen billion dollars making quick rush judge decisions. And the fact that the $62 million is not even a fourth of 1% of his worth, I don't think it's really so much a money thing as far as why he wouldn't move on from him. Um, I just think that, I just think that it's, just, it's just a setup to force Matt Rowe to really evaluate his, his concepts, his logic that he's holding on to. These college as it's stated by you know brilliantly by jay that these college concepts don't fly here you know um edgar you also mentioned it you know hey you know that'll work great you know and you know and um you know ncaa cool by all means like i said i think that's where he you know thrives at but um you know when you look at you know teams look how quickly cincinnati turned it around cincinnati was the butt of joke but of jokes, hell, the Browns were. Cincinnati turned predict- it around in year three, though, Kevin. It took three years for Zach Taylor. But if you look, and I wrote this down on Twitter, if you follow it, because someone tried to check me on this, you also saw progression from year one to year two to year three as well. This case, who who can we say really got better year two under Matt Rule that didn't in year one from year one? Perfect example, Derrick Brown. I love Derrick Brown. Dante Jackson. Nope. Yep. Dante Jackson got better in 2000 this year compared to last year. Absolutely. Because we were talking about him in healthy. the offseason, yeah. Bryson, oh, that he was a dud. And then middle of the year, we we're talking about him as being a great player. So like, and then he gets exposed at the end of the season. Then he gets Well, hurt. he got injured. I mean, he got injured. That's his, been his problem all his entire career. But I feel like Dante's been – he's shown progression. But to be fair, all cornerbacks get exposed. I mean, for all the interceptions, what Trevon did for Dallas gets, I think there was a stat put out. He's given up the most yards, you know, for of any cornerback, but he's got 11 interceptions. But all fans are going to think about are the 11 interceptions, you know. So cornerbacks are going to get burnt. I think fans, you know, will hold on to the four or five bad plays and forget about the 55, 60 good plays that happen. And we'll use that as a measuring stick of an overall performance. Uh, Dante Jackson definitely, um, definitely improved, you know, year four, which I said he would in a contract year. Uh, he's definitely the leader of the cornerback room. Now I know Stephen Gilmore, uh, came via trade. Um, but I just, we just don't have the cap unless Samir Suleiman can do some creative first year shifting with these contracts because that TV contract money that was signed by the NFL and the um, networks. I thought it was going to kick in on this year. Actually, kicks in in 2023. If I'm not mistaken, we're looking at an extra, I think, 52 to $55 million more in salary cap in 2023 based on these TV contract um, these TV contract money. So that's why I said our stomach ruling Dominic one more year to get that type of money and with all our draft picks to, to finally shake this right because this rebuild is a remess. JJ, you said something earlier. Matt Ruse no X's and O's. Apparently, he don't know TOs. Think about the second drive against the Bucks. I was there. In the last minute and a half, we burnt two time. 
Who calls a timeout with one second left? Bro. I, I tweeted Matt, that. Matt, Matt, Matt Rule with timeouts is like R. Kelly with young girls. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a clusterfuck because yep. how, how many times have we sitting here like, bro, did you really just call a timeout? For what? We called a timeout to, to throw a deep pass on fourth and six. The clock was going to run out. We was going to get a whole nother down. Why call a timeout one second left at the end of the first quarter and you was going to still have the ball? It wasn't like the the um, um the play clock was running out. You panicked and saw one second left. Oh, timeout. Coach, that's the game clock, not the – oh, well, we got to run a play now. Like, his, I thought Ron Rivera was bad with game in. Rule has far – far as seen in a year two as a coach that is something he has not improved on in 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 um in year two like it is considerably worse with his his management of game situations like it's it's, it's just mind-numbing so um yeah I, I just think the whole rock star oc thing i think is a i think it's a farce i don't i don't believe you know because uh, oc should not help keep a, a coach's job Yep. In my perspective, you know, that's just yeah, me. that that has just been weird messaging all along. Like, you yeah, why yeah, would yeah. someone hire someone and then you would fire the guy that hired them? And then what what do you do with that? OC? it's just it's a very weird situation. I would I know someone on Twitter had said that that Jay Glazer knows someone within the organization pretty high up. I would really like to know who that is, if it is Tepper or uh, I know someone name dropped someone else, but it's escaping me right now. But yeah, I thought that was yeah. really weird. Edgar, let's get your take on this. Uh, this this rock star OC, these comments by uh, Glazer. Sure, I'll, I'll say my piece and then I'll, I'll head out. But I, I did want to say, you know, I agree with everybody, whatever you said. No, I disagree with. Um, it's still a weird, obviously it's coming from Jay Glazer. It's, it's coming down, it's a leak or whatever. So again, logistically, I have no idea how it works. Do you hire an OC? Oh, that wasn't a rock star. So now you're gone. And that OC that you just hired is now gone. It just, just doesn't make sense. But at the end of the day, like everybody said, if we're sticking with real for another year, uh, I almost want to agree with Kevin. I almost want them to hire a terrible offensive coordinator so we can just clean the slate. Like, let's just, let's just move. Right. Um, I, I do think, and this is just like my thought, um, even someone like 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 a Pep Hamilton, right, or 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 a Bill O'Brien, this idea of like, hey, they could be the interim coach. Like, even that doesn't set them up for success. Like, uh, if I really really wanted Pep to be the guy, if I really wanted Bill O'Brien, if I was a fan of Bill O'Brien and wanted to be the guy, like, we're not setting them up to be success. And that's what you should be doing. If we really really want them to be successful, let's give them who they want, what quarterback they want, what what O line do they want? Like like JJ was saying, what scheme do they want? Like, let's set them up for success. We're we, we've always done everything backwards. We hire the coach, then the GM, then we're gonna. You know, we're going to keep the coach, but like the OC is gone and it, it, it's just a mess. And, and I don't want to be so negative. I don't want to be this pessimistic guy. And in real life, I'm very optimistic. But when things are embarrassing, when things are just not right, again, like at the end of the day, I just feel like we're paying a guy top dollar to learn on the job, right? Um, add to the list of things that are embarrassing. Like, what Kevin said, like how about that? How about that kicker tryout, right? Shouldn't you know? If something ever happened, right? If if in the, in the game, let's say Zane Gonzalez gets injured, who's gonna who's gonna go out there? Are you gonna do a kicker tryout in the middle of the game? Like <laughs> you should know if something goes down, like that's the next guy, right? 
he, it looks mm. like he got caught like he didn't know what to do and it's not bad i don't hate the guy i don't wish him to be embarrassed in public but i also got to call it like it is i mean again he's paid it's a job for him he gets paid top dollar to do something that he's supposed to be doing and at the end of the day if we have in our jobs if we suck if we're not prepared i expect to be like to be held accountable um, and i will say like lastly on matt rule i really believe he believes in this system i really believe he believes I really believe that if he went to college and he had a guy like Sam Darnold, I do believe he thinks he could like take that guy and win a bowl game. Right. But like, like Kevin said, everybody or, or JJ, everybody has a guy like that in the NFL. Everybody has a, a four, three, four, four linebacker. Like you don't have to, you know, and, and it just seems very unprepared. Uh, I think about when he said, like when he brought Cam back, he was like, Oh, I didn't know Cam worked so hard. I was like, is this your, are you a fan? Are, are you going backstage and like wincing? Wow. I've never seen this before. Like you need to be a guy like, this is something that I expect from all my people. Right. Like who, <laughs> like it, it sounds like if I took my kid to watch camp practice, like they, they would have the eyes of amazement. And I, 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 I just, from the bottom of my heart, you know, if we stick with him or if we have to have him, I wanted to be successful, but like, if I had something to kind of sit on and say like, Hey, this is, there are some flashes of brilliance yes then yes let's let's go with this but I, I i hate to beat a dead horse but i also don't want to it's almost like we're, we're we're stating a case here like this is my this is my my docket this is my, my my closing arguments but he is a guy that he's playing with for us as fans for us for the five of us this is like for some of us like our big livelihood like this is what we kind of sleep eat tweet about talk about with friends we wear gear and so when people say like oh why are you so I have such high expectations. I come from, I'm from LA. I'm in LA right now. Right. And so if this was the Lakers, this would never fly. Like we want Super Bowl or bust. What do you think the expectations are for the Rams? Right. They, you got to win a Super Bowl or you're, you're a dud. But for some reason in Carolina, I'm not from the East, I'm not from the South. Right. I don't know what expectations are like there, but like if anything like this happened with the LA teams out here, we would have been gone, you know, in the middle of this year. And so I know in full context, my expectations different. My standards are different. My standards for my wife, my relationships in life, I have high standards. I want the best. I want quality. And so even though he's good, even though he's great for college, I would say like, hey, you, I deserve more. The fans deserve more. And Tepper would get a whole bunch of love and, and, and a vote of confidence if he just stepped up and just said like, hey, I thought we were going to get something. It didn't pan out. Something that Matt Rule still has to think about is how, how to own stuff, right? And, and I guess I, I'm going on a ramble, but last thought, like one thing that really bothers me, it's a side note is that he doesn't take ownership for when he like did something wrong, right? The Sam Darnold thing uh -huh. from yesterday. Oh, like, oh, uh, it was a group decision. Dude, just say like, this is what I thought. He has something to work with. You know, this is like, no one's going to say like, oh, Matt Rule, why did you do that? Like even Sam Darnold would understand if he felt like that my coach said I expected more of me, right? Or, um, you know, when he got rid of Joe Brady, oh, it was, it was a hire that was outside of my comfort zone. Like, dude, like you made that decision. If it was out of your comfort zone, don't do it. Like just, just own it. Joe Brady was a... He was a rising star. I thought it, would, it didn't work out. It wasn't like what I expected. And so we had to go in a different direction. Everybody's like, okay, cool. But when you say things like this, like Curtis, I know you say like we're grilling people for, for press conferences. This is part of the job. You're a coach. You're the interface between the team and the public. That's something that we expect. And I, I just want to close on this point. It just feels like we're, we're dealing with a guy who's learning on the job. And that's what's so frustrating, right? Like we've, we've lived Carolina Panther football for so long and it deserves more than somebody Who's learning on the job. Hey, Eric, real quick before you go, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Kurt. I just want to ask you this. I was looking for your tweets about it. I just wanted your opinion. If you if you tweeted it, forgive me for not seeing it. 
Nice. What is your opinion on how Matt Rule coddles Sam Davis? I mean, uh, Sam Donald, so I'm combining play, you know, about his turnovers, you know, saying everybody around the team got to play better to help him out, but told Cam t- t- two turnovers or more is not acceptable. It seems like. You know, you know, I, you know, I'm welcoming him. You know, he's, you know, I, you know, I got the shirt. You know, what I'm saying I love Cam, but I'm not a counter. But how did you feel about the whole? He's cuddling Donald like he's in college, but with Sam, I mean, but with Cam, he just under the bus and out the, out the door you go. Even though Cam came back and was class personified and never showed his emotions, but I'm sure you know he had something to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go big picture on you, Kevin. Like at the end of the day, the NFL is a big old good old boys club right cam was not matt rules guy he's never been matt rules guy he could say publicly i want this guy on the team forever he is not matt rules guy matt rule for better or for worse hitched his wagon onto sam dartled for better or worse he's gonna you know carry water for him say like oh he still needs to learn to develop if cam messes up you know he was a one-time thing we tried it he sucked whatever but if if sam has two turnovers in the game oh like you know, I need to check the tape. I need to, I need to look back at that. If Cam messes up, it's like, oh, we can't, that's unacceptable, right? And so I think most of us that have been, you know, following NFL, following, I don't want to go, you know, race on this, but like, we just know that some people are people's guys and they'll back them up. I bet you Matt Rule would back up Robbie. So I don't think it's just, I don't think it's like a black or white thing, but I just know that Cam is not Matt Rule's guy and he treats him differently than the person that he invested his livelihood, his, you know, at the end of the day, Kevin, Matt Rule's success is t- was tied, will be tied to like how successful Sam Donald is. And so you would expect them to kind of boost him up because if, if Cam does terrible, that's okay. It wasn't, wasn't Matt Rule's guy anyway. If Sam stinks, which he has so far, and he's terrible forever, then everybody will think, well, Matt Rule is terrible because he was the one that brought Sam Donald in. And so I think there's a, 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 a relationship there where like he needs to be coddled he needs to boost them up in the public image because that also inflates his ability to evaluate quarterbacks. And, and, and Edgar, just to add to that, I think you answered that, you know, with excellence. I just, I think it goes back to something you mentioned in your last statement. It's the lack of accountability, self-accountability. And I think if he goes out and berates the player quarterback, it somehow suggests that he failed because it's the guy that he chose. So if if I say that Sam is a bad quarterback, then like you just said, then it says that I'm a bad quarterback evaluator. And I'm not going to take the heat for that. So I'm not going to say that Sam is bad. Hold on, though. Let me jump in there quick. He didn't coddle Teddy Bridgewater. And that was a guy he picked. He called no. Teddy Bridgewater out several times. No, he did. He did. You know, but why? So, you know, when he started to call, you know, when he really started to call Teddy out, when Teddy called them out. And if you remember, it was the Minnesota game, and 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 forgive me if I'm wrong, but I don't. I think Matt Rule was pretty. I won't say protective of Teddy, you know, but you know, he he. I think he praised Teddy. You no, know, during the first part of the last year, when we were, you know, we won three games in a row, and you know, then we lost a couple of tough ones. He got hurt in Tampa, and when he came back, you know, for his Minnesota homecoming, and he played bad. But when he made that bad play towards the end, when he missed DJ in the end zone, you know, Teddy came out after that game and said, "Hey, look, you know, that wasn't the play that we were supposed to run. You know, they got the play in kind of late, 
you know, when I had five seconds on the clock, you know, I was supposed to have time to check out of the play into a run play, which if we didn't convert, the clock would have kept running, but they called in a pass play. I didn't have time to check into the run. So I ran it. The play was for Robbie. Robbie wasn't open. I saw a DJ pop, you know, behind him. I tried to hit him. He was late. I missed. Teddy came out in the press conference after that game and explained that. So did Matt and, Rule, though. Matt Rule said Teddy was not supposed to hike that ball. And he, and Matt Rule has a prep. Like, so they both – you're right on that. It was around that point. But Matt Rule did come out and say Teddy was not – he, he blamed him at that point. Like he yeah, said, and, this was Bridgewater's fault. He should have never – we told him not to snap the ball, and he did. See, but that's – no, you know, you're talking about two different plays. You're talking about the play before the two-minute warning. I'm talking about the play in the end zone. Teddy was supposed to hike that ball. He just, oh, I got you. I got you. Yeah, he was supposed to be able to check. He's supposed to have time to, to see the defense. And if he needed to check into a run, check into a run, because if they didn't get the touchdown or the first down or whatever it was, did a goal line, the clock would have kept running and that would have been to their benefit. But they didn't have time to check out of the pass play that came in with five seconds left. And he ended up having to, you know, not be able to get Robbie on the first read and try to catch DJ who snuck open behind all of that action. He missed DJ on a wide open thing and everybody blamed Teddy for being inaccurate on the throw. But when Teddy was asked about the throw, you know, from the media afterwards, he just explained like, look, play came in late. I would have liked to check to a run because the clock could have kept running. But, you know, we ran it. Robbie wasn't open. DJ popped open. I missed him. But yeah, you know, it's just a little, mis- mis- a little miscommunication and blah, blah, blah. If you note how Matt Rule changed after that game, you start hearing a, a recurring message about, you know, guys not making excuses, um, you know, and things like that. And I, I thought that stuff was kind of pointed towards Teddy um, after that point. And then, you know, so I, he definitely didn't call Teddy. And I remember specifically in the offseason, right after they traded for Sam, they were asking something about the competition at the QB position because both were still on the roster for a few weeks mm-hmm. um, before they traded away Teddy. And, you know, and I think, you know, we're saying something about, you know, fairness or whatever. And I know Matt Rule said, you know, look, there's no fair in the NFL or something to that effect, right? You know, he was really, really straightforward. Even going back to last year when Cam was on the roster before they released him, they were asking, you know, you know, were they looking forward to Cam being the, the starter? Matt Rule was like, oh, you know, I'm just the type that I, I don't name starters before I see them at practice and blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Because he knew what was up. He knew the plan. Um, but Yesterday, when they asked him about Sam Donald and the fifth-year option and all that, he was like, well, you know, we brought Sam in to be the starter. And I was like, wow, that's a big shift in 12 months, you know, because last year when Cam was on the roster and you was asked about him starting for you, you was like, I got to see him at practice first before I name starters. That's kind of my credo. 2021, you trade for Sam because you trade for Sam, sight unseen, didn't need to practice anything, and you knew that you wanted him to be your starter. Now, it just goes back to what everybody's saying about, you know, this is a league about, you know, good old boy and, you know, my guy and I know you and this and that. Um, but it was a, it was definitely a difference in how he treated people. And I do think certain players in the NFL, you know, should get preferential treatment. I think some coach even said that. You know, some guys are just superstar players and they're going to get treated different. I love seeing everybody get treated equally. But sometimes you have superstar, superstar get special treatment. People don't know this about Cam. 
Cam didn't really get coached up like that in his first few, you know, in his first years at Carolina under Ron Rivera. He didn't get coached hard, but Cam was a superstar. He used to franchise, right? So it comes with privileges. Um, if Sam was an elite quarterback, I wouldn't mind him getting a little coddling, right? If he had done something in his first three years at New York to suggest that, hey, look, he's going to be a franchise type guy. Look, we don't need to put him out there in the preseason. We don't need to do this. We don't need to do that. You know, all he needs to do is just show up and, and be on the field first at practice. That's the kind of stuff he was saying all offseason. We don't need Sam to be a leader. We got guys like Christian in the locker room. He can be the leader. He did this all year long. And so then you get into the season, you know, to where he starts out hot. You know, you're bragging about it. Oh, this guy has five rushing touchdowns in the first three games. Like, this is great. Blah, 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 blah. The wheels fall off. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, we need to protect Sam better. You know, we need to do this. Sam had six games where he turned the ball over two times or more, right? I don't recall him really berating Sam after any game or saying that he was disappointed in Sam or anything like that. After Cam turned the ball over two times on the fumble and the interception, or oh, the QB can't have can't turn the ball over twice. Like it's an obvious disparity in how he treats them. And as a fan, especially a fan base who adores Cam Newton. You're not going to get away with that, right? And to show some difference between how you treat the guy that most people love in Carolina versus a guy that most people loathe after seeing him for a full season, bro, you're not going to get away with that. And there's no real excuse for that. You know, you can say, yeah, you know, because he's his guy or whatever. Just think, I, I'm going to plug this in and I'm going to stop talking, you know, Matt Rule was interviewed for the Jets job in 2017. Am I correct? Is it was it 2017? And he even mentioned that he was able to to talk to Sam Donald, you know, while he was being vetted for that position. Ultimately, they decided not to go with Matt Rule because they really didn't trust his um, his staff, which is ironic when you think about where we are today. You know, they didn't trust his staff. They wanted to have some control over who his NFL experience staff should be. He wanted to go with his own people. They didn't agree on that. So he never became a, a, a New York Jets head coach. Sometimes I look at Matt Rule in 2020 and 2021, especially this year with Sam Donald on my roster, with Robbie Anderson on my roster, with Frankie Louvu on my roster, with Pat Elfline on my roster. I wonder after he didn't get that job in New York a few years ago, if he didn't just sometimes think about what could have been if he had gone to the NFL and had that roster that he thought he was going to get to coach, right? You know, Matt Rule at some point thought Sam Donald was going to be his quarterback when he was interviewing for that job, right? You know, Robbie Anderson was going to be his number one receiver. Um, you know, and I, I doubt if Pat Elfline wasn't there yet. Frankie Lugu, I don't think he mattered to them at that time. But I think Matt Rule has visualized, because, you know, a lot of people at that level, they visualize how things go, how it would go, you know, just hypotheticals. I think he's able to play out, you know, like the what would have been if I would have had Sam Donald in 2017 and 2018, you know, because I believed in the guy. And now we're being forced as fans to kind of live through that. Right. And um, and I think 
the way that it's going to Carolina is exactly how it would have went in New York, right? I don't think it, I think we're dealing with the same thing. People don't realize that New York team at that point in time had a really good defensive roster. They had Sam, a young Sam Donald in year two, I believe. Um, and they had, and it went year two, I guess it was 2018. You know, so they had Sam Donald. Ironically, they had Teddy Bridgewater. You know, they had picked up Teddy Bridgewater, you know, that offseason. I think Matt Rule really looked at that team because that's the that's the year that Todd Bowles got fired. So he would have replaced Todd Bowles. So yeah, that that was the team that Matt Rule, I think, really paid a lot of attention to while still at college. And was like, man, I, I should be coaching that team right now. And so look, Teddy Bridgewater was on that roster. Sam Donald was on that. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater got traded in the preseason, but Teddy Bridgewater was on that roster. Sam Donald was on that roster. Robbie Anderson was on that roster. And all those guys have been Panthers, right? <laughs> and so I'm not saying that that's what it is. But if you look at who we become, we become the Carolina Jets, right? And they're the worst. They were the worst franchise in the NFL for the last two or three years. Adam Gase was the clown coach. Everybody clowned him. The media clowned him. Who is that happening to now? Now the Carolina Panthers is the clown show. Now there are tweets out from Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter, whoever tweeted that today, saying, you know, of all the teams, like what you mentioned before, Bryson, you know, who um, haven't gone to the Super Bowl in the last two years since they expanded it to 14 games, all of the teams that haven't made it have fired their coach, except for the Carolina Panthers, right? It's ridiculous to be that team to be the fan of that team who, you know what they say the definition of insanity is, you know, to continue to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. The NFL isn't the type of league now where somebody has to get three years before you move on from them. And everybody's showing that, right? You can even be a winning coach. You can have two back-to-back -back winning seasons and get fired because of your relationships, <laughs> you know, like Brian Flores in Miami. I don't agree with that, but you don't have you, you don't have enough time to get a lot of time. I think that's what I'm saying. You don't have a lot of time like you used to to get a lot of time because you know the thing that's really changed that whole narrative compared to years past. Free agency is different now. You can't keep a team together long enough for a coach to be there four or five years and expect for there to be enough continuity you know, amongst veterans and young guys to, to, to have a, uh, to be able to develop that team and open up a winning window and win within that winning window, expecting to have the salary cap flexibility and everything that's required to keep that team together. So times are different. If you can't show, like, and, and, and Curtis, 100%, I would be behind you and with you, and I probably would be defending him publicly if we had gone five and 11 last year, and we had gone seven and 10 this year, right? You know, with some sense of offensive identity, didn't have to be a great offense, but at least you knew what we were going to do as a Carolina Panthers fan. And if you were a Carolina Panthers opponent, like these guys are trying to do this to us, right? They're trying to run the football down our throat, you know, and it's our job to stop that, you know, and if, they're doing that. They're going to try to hit us up top. Man, before the year, I hate that I'm ranting, y'all. You know, but before the year, 
all we heard about when they were trying to justify Sam Donald was that the dude can make every throw on the field, right? And we want to take advantage of the whole field, you know, with Sam Donald. We got Robbie Anderson here, you know, a, a well-known deep ball threat. Unless I'm tripping, and y'all can please correct me if I'm wrong. I don't recall Robbie Anderson catching but one truly deep ball from Sam Donald the whole season. Mm-hmm. After being shown highlights of their time in New York together, they didn't design up not nearly enough deep attempts. You didn't have to complete them. We didn't even try to make um, defenses play us honestly by like throwing the ball that deep down the field, you know, two or three times a game. And it didn't have to be just Robbie. It could have been something to DJ. It could have been something to Terrence Marshall, Shaw Smith. I didn't care. But this big arm that we heard about, I don't know if I've seen um, Sam Donald throw the ball more than 50 yards in the air the whole season. Yeah. And that's, and it's, it's, that's, that's bananas to me. And, Bryson, uh, jump in quick. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah I, I was just – I was going to say to quote something from that Joe Person article – um, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, I think I think that is that sums up Matt Rule's tenure in Carolina. The proof is in the pudding. Um, at the end of the day, if your ability to keep a job is hinged on your ability to hire somebody to help you keep that job, is that person worth keeping in the first place? That's fair. I wanted to go back quick. JJ, because I, I think this was taken the wrong way, but I do not defend Matt Rule's coddling of Sam Darnold. I was on PNP a couple months ago, and I look I look at the coddling this way. I feel like Sam Darnold is like a kicker. He needs confidence like a kicker, and when he loses confidence, he is a terrible quarterback. And I feel like that's why Matt Rule coddles the shit out of him because he needs everyone on that team around him and everyone supporting him. And when he doesn't have that, he struggles. And that's the kind of way that I look at it. I don't agree with the way Matt Rule has dealt with that situation with him and Cam Newton. I just feel like that is the way he's approached it. And I think they view him as a rookie, which is – to me is ridiculous. You treat Cam Newton the same way you do you treat Sam Darnold. And that's that's how you gotta look at it when it comes when it comes to you know calling guys out and stuff like that. If you're gonna call out one, call out the other. Um and I think that was a that's a big reason that's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way is the way he's handled that situation. Because we know there's a lot of people, I mean majority of Panther fans that love Cam Newton and the way he has went about that has been piss poor. And I do. I, I think the coddling of Sam is has been just as bad as the you know play on the field, the game management, just everything. So um, I just wanted to clear that up because that's the kind of way I look at it um, in that sense. Kevin, it's crazy. We went from twenty twenty a tough ass team to a coddling ass team. You know what I'm saying? It's just like. <laughs> Sam's a special guy, man. <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, and, and Curtis, I 100% like in fairness to, I want to say in fairness to Sam, but in fairness to what I see, you know, like I hate to come off as insensitive because I really, I hate to like 
honestly, at my core, I hate to dig into these guys at all, right? Because I know that they're young. I know that they have big careers ahead of them. You know, some may not last that long. But I think everybody at the NFL level, I think you get what you deserve, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at every level of football, like I, I coached youth football, you know, a couple of years back. Um, you know, my son plays football, you know, and now he's going into high school next year, right? I would have loved for my son to be a quarterback, right? But my son didn't believe he was a quarterback. And it didn't matter if he can throw the ball. My son can probably throw the ball, you know, 50 yards right now. But in his head, he's not a quarterback. He sees the other guys on his team as quarterbacks. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. But the one thing I respect about the guys he sees as quarterbacks is that when I look at them on the field, they act like quarterbacks, right? You know, they have full command of the offense. They have Sam full respect for their team. <laughs> Sam doesn't. Yeah. And, and the thing and the crazy part about Matt Rule hitching his wagon to Sam Donald of all quarterbacks that he could have hitched his wagon to is what you said. He coddles him because he, he knows that mentally he's fragile, right? On the field, I mean, not, you know, intelligence speaking. I'm just talking about, yeah. you know, staying no, in the you. game, you know, keeping his composure, not breaking down. So he says a lot of things to keep him built up. And he wants probably other people around him to build him up and see him as a leader. And, but the problem with that is that, you know, and I'm a military guy, you know, when the, when the, when the, when the bullets start flying, right? Like when things really start happening and things get real, even if you go on a, a run, like say Matt Rue rolls out there with Sam Donald and you start the season um, eight and one, right? Things look great. And Sam Donald looks awesome. All it takes is one bad game, a series of bad things happening, you know, a, a devastating hit, you know, all them things any, at any given time would totally unravel the situation. And even in the best case scenario, you know, like Sam Donald somehow leads the team to the playoffs. Now you're playing good teams every you know, week to try to get to the ultimate goal. How can you trust your whole entire situation around a guy that you know can't deal with any adversity at all? I wouldn't be able to trust that. Like if I had an employee, you know, in a high pressure situation job, like I wouldn't be able to hire that guy because I know that based on the ops tempo and the stress that he's going to be under, he wouldn't be able to 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 be able to keep his his wits. And, you know, and, and there's too much pressure, you know, to put on anyone to do that. And I think I almost feel bad for Sam sometimes, man. Now, do you <laughs> do you honestly think Sam will be the starter all of next season? Like, are you are we are we buying the the fitterer, the rule comments yesterday that Sam's a rookie They're I mean, it seems like he'll be back. But are we buying this that, you know, Sam is their answer? No, um, I think there's yeah, some no. truth to what to what Joe Person, um, I, guess, I think he was talking to, to, um, to John Ellis on his show. Um, Joe Person said that the, the sentiment that he, that he gets from the people that he knows in the organization is that they're looking at the Sam Donald situation kind of like the Teddy situation Teddy. in 2020. And so, you know, the way I see it is that they're going to make 
their most earnest effort to bring in, you know, some veteran guy, you know, and hoping that they get lucky enough to, to pull one. Um, if they can't pull one of those guys like Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson, I know that's taboo to talk about. But if they can't pull one of those two, then they might resort to a Gardner Minshew, um, you know, to come in and, and compete and hoping that he wins the job over Sam. Um, and if they strike out on all of those types of options, uh, even like a Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, um, I think if they strike out on those types of guys, the middling type of guys or the superstar guys, um, I think they'll try to draft a guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, if they don't get anybody before the draft, um, I know we all want Evan Neal or whoever your sexiest offensive lineman is. I hope they get that too. But I think at number six, if Matt Rule is allowed to go get a good offensive coordinator, at the end of the day, folks, as much as we need a left tackle, if they really like Kenny Pickett, I think, that, I think they're going to pick it. And I don't want them to do that. I just don't trust that in a year where Matt Rule is trying to save his job, that he hitches his wagon to Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold for another year. Kevin, what do you think of that? What? Back to my original question on that. Yeah, man, just – man, where do I start? Um you know, the irony of, you know, this conversation we're currently having about, you know, this whole Sam Donald thing and how you mentioned about how never treated, you know, supposed to treat each quarterback the same way. Isn't it ironic that the only time Matt Rule treated Sam Donald and Cam Newton the same is when he explained why he went with Sam Donald on that quarterback sneak on fourth down? <laughs> because he said they both can equally do the same job. And I'm like, whoa. Like you, you, you really like you really are trying to like shove this yeah, down. Yeah, two our two QB systems don't work, but the one time it was gonna actually work, and you should have brought him in, you did it. And me and Bryce so were bitching guy, about so that a guy, few weeks ago. So the guy that's ninety three percent at converting third and one and fourth and one by running the ball is on the bench, <laughs> but. The guy, because I guess because he had five rushing touchdowns in the first three weeks, that puts him on the same plane. I just thought, like, he got to be trolling us with these with these explanations. Like, you cannot sit up here. For you to be someone with analytics, your analytics did not have that information about Cam Newton on third and one and fourth and one. His conversion rate is 93%. Like, that's like what Steph Curry at the free throw line good. You know what I'm saying? I mean – it's automatic. You know, it, it's not perfect because it's 93%. I stop every blue moon or two, but damn, you know, so, you know, just, 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 ha- just hearing this whole coddling Sam and, oh, but one time he won Cam and Cam to be in the, talking the same is on that one. I just thought that was hilarious. Um, yeah, JJ, I, I think that's my biggest fear is that Matt Rue would try to buy more time to say, hey, I need to develop Kenny Pickett. Um, he's not worthy of the sixth pick. Let's let's yeah. go ahead and just put yeah. that up there right now. Maybe sixteenth pick, you know. And I'm not. And I think Kenny Pickett is going to be a very good quarterback, um, you know, coming into this league. Uh, but um, there's bigger fish to fry at line than I'm telling you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really truly is. Like me personally, like I tweeted this earlier. My dream scenario, 
and this is me because I'm a trench guy. I know quarterbacks are not in high demand like they were last year, so I don't know how much somebody may be willing to trade up to get our sixth pick. But if we could just trade back a few slots, maybe down somewhere between 10 and 12, and recoup them day two picks, and and maybe like a second next year, I'm for it. Because me personally, I want the center out of Iowa, Tyler Lindenbaum. That would be my first round pick. And if he can, if we can, if he can sneak, which they're saying second, third round, but I think he's better than that. Uh, um, Jamari Slayer Sawyer out of Georgia. Oh, yeah. That kid, he could play all five positions now. Um, at left tackle, but at left tackle, I see him put his money because when they when Georgia played Michigan, he took um, Michigan's top pass right. What's his name? Hutchinson. Yeah. He put him on a leash. Sit, <laughs> boy. Good. Don't move. <laughs> Stay back. <laughs> I mean, you know, if one of y'all want to pull up his stat line from that game, I don't think he made any impact plays that whole game. You know, and 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 uh, I don't know if y'all noticed last night, but Slayer went from left tackle to right guard and still was kicking ass, you know, against Alabama. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I know I may got out the tangent a little bit, but I know – Yeah, Kevin, while, while we're on, on offensive linemen, though, yeah. do you think – we we got to talk about something good here at some point. Do you think Brady Christensen is the answer at left tackle? Because we posed this – I put this out on Twitter. I know it's a very small sample size right now. You do have the – what he did in college, and then, what, three starts here in the NFL – at left tackle, but what do you think of him being that long-term answer? Do you think he's got it? Long-term, he hasn't developed it. He has he has the athletic tools, but he doesn't have that nasty to his game. You know, um, now, mind you, I, in the last, what, second half of the season when he was finally able to play at left tackle, he has played – relatively decent to marginally solid. I wouldn't say I've seen a dominating performance out of him, but, um, you know, and as a rookie, he's allowed to make some mistakes. Now, y'all know from earlier shows, I was not a fan of Brady Christensen. Yeah, you, you know, were. You draft. hated on him. <laughs> but I have to be fair in what I've seen. So when he finally was allowed to play left tackle and, and get some of his oopsies out of the way, I did see some gradual improvement from a pass blocking point of view still some things correct but again he's a rookie you know i'm not expecting him to um you know to be that but in the running game um he soft his baby shit still like he'll get to he'll take the right angle because of athleticism but he brings no with his block you know what i'm saying it's 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 it's, it's just very more like shielding than blocking you know if he can just get in the way of the defender like i i, I Again, when y'all watching, when last time y'all seen, ooh, Brady Christian blew that man off the ball. You don't see that. Um, but I will say this. I think that he's earned the right to compete for the left tackle position because Cam Irvin's dust ass going to be here another year because of his contract. You know, two years, I think it's like $10 million. I think six and a half million of it's guaranteed. So, um, um I take 16 games of Brady at left tackle before I see another of Cam Mervin. Let's say that. But as far as long term, um, no. If if an Evan Neal drops to us at six, if we don't trade back, that should be a no brainer. What about um, Deontay Brown? 
What do you think of him? I know he hasn't had shit for sample size, but do you think he's a, is he a viable option as a starter or is this guy just a depth piece and sort of thing? I think that once he, because he had to spend so much of his all season in conditioning, trying to lose weight, I don't think he allowed himself to really get his, put himself in the best position football wise. I think this is more like his red shirt year per se in the NFL. Um, now I was someone who made the <laughs> wild prediction. I said that um, preseason after we drafted it, that him and um, uh, what's his name from Gramlin that we cut. I can't think of his more, name. More. More. I thought they would be the starting guards because I knew that um, John Miller was wasn't, wasn't much to brag about and damn sure I saw the film on Pat Eflin at Minnesota and New York. I damn sure wasn't impressed. So I felt like two rookies would have been our uh, uh, best shot. Um, damn shame Michael Jordan was on the practice squad. And he ended up probably being our nastiest offensive lineman, you know, inserted middle of the season. Um, but, but yeah, uh, yeah, Brady, Brady can compete for left, but I, I don't, I don't see him as the uh, long-term um, answer there. Now, could he be that second round guard? I think, again, to play guard, you got to have that nasty. Until he gets nasty, I can't really see him having a long-term role in the NFL, particularly if he's looking to be a starter. Um, a good depth player, you know, versatility, play guard or tackle, I can see him as. But, um, you know, without that um, nastiness, without that aggression that's needed to play uh, the position that he has yet to shown. Um, I just see him as someone that's marginal at best. Yeah. And didn't Brady want, I think Brady wanted, I thought I saw his ending presser. Maybe he didn't have one, but I saw somewhere that he wanted to add some weight in this off season. So I wonder if that will help at all. Bryson, any, any comments on the offensive line? What do you thought of Brady? That sort of thing. I thought Brady, in general. yeah, yeah. I thought Brady Christensen showed the ability to um, be able to play left tackle to end the season. I thought that he um, gives the Carolina Panthers uh, a position to be in where they don't have to take a left tackle um, with their top pick in the draft. Um, I think that if they do, obviously it would be an improvement, but I don't think that they're in dire need as they were before Brady Christensen's play at left tackle. Um, during the beginning and middle of the season. Um, I think Christensen could be a good bridge left tackle per se until they, you know, they do, they do draft a left tackle or sign one in free agency. Um, I, I feel like he showed improvement from game to game um, when he started. Um, yeah. He's not, he's not the, you know, nasty aggressive tackle that Evan Neal was in the, you know, in the, college football championship we watched or anything like that but I feel like he's he's good enough um especially for this team that had the worst offensive line in the league um to to be the left tackle for Carolina at least next season yeah I got the same sentiment I think I think he Brady gives the Panthers flexibility on what they can do in free agency in the draft if if a left tackle doesn't come to them or they have to move some things around and we know Matt Rule loves his position and flexibility, so he's uh, he's drooling over Brady right now, <laughs> playing guard and guard and left tackle. 
Yeah, when Brady Christians, I tell you, like, I never played any other position type left tackle my whole career. That should have been a telltale point. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I, I'm, it's, it's just my mind. Like, Deontay Brown, he's always been a left guard. Played there three years, never gave up a sack, was dominant in the run game. What does Matt Rule do? Put some strictly at right guard. You know, it's like. That's, that's, that's crazy, Kevin, because. Play play I your thought, players at where they're comfortable and at their strengths. Adjust your scheme to their talents. Don't try to make your scheme. Don't try to make your scheme fit the players. Right. I mean, and, and because in my mind, I was thinking that Deontay Brown um, was actually a right guard. Like at Alabama, I didn't realize he played left guard. Yeah. Um, you know, but I I do know that you know Matt Rule did the same thing with Dennis Daly, um, who had played left tackle his whole career at South Carolina. And he tried to make him a right guard at one point. You know, he played left guard too. But I remember it was a press conference early in the year when he was starting, you know, where they asked him, you know, whether he prefer. He said, well, you know, the left side, you know, that's the side I've always played on. And, um, you know, so Brady Christensen coming in, I believe in the preseason, they had Brady Christensen playing right guard. And I was like, wow, you know, like that's a big shift from left tackle to right guard. Um, but like you all said about Brady Christensen, I was eager to see him all year because I remember, you know, some PFF stat. I know some people don't like that, but I think they had him as the highest rated pass blocking left tackle in football last year. And I was like, that has to count for something. I know he doesn't play a lot of like elite edges in Mountain West, you know, but those, you know, traits have to translate somehow with footwork, you know, technique. And I think that's what we see. You know, Kevin mentioned that. I think he shows the ability to be able to pass block, you know, get in the sets, um, especially when he's not playing like an, an elite edge. Um, he's not nasty. I think he's really finesse. I think the BYU system he played in was really finesse in terms of the blocking scheme. Uh, but I think the most important thing for all of us, you know, to, to pay attention to with Brady Christensen is he's ready to get a new scheme and a new potentially blocking scheme to learn. And it's going to be on how this new O-line coach sees him that determines if they believe he could be the guy for whatever scheme they're going to implement, right? The thing that worries me about what Matt Rule has said about what he wants to do is, you know, in becoming a, a really run-dominant team is that that might go against Brady Christensen being the future left tackle. Um, yep. Because run-blocking schemes – you know, the person I think about when I think about, you know, left tackles and run blocking schemes, I think about Trent Williams um, in San Francisco. You know, I think about, you know, um, what's my man's name out in, in Dallas? Um, you know what I'm talking about. The, the uh, Tyron Smith. Yeah, Tyron Smith. I, I think about guys like that when you try to build your identity around the run. And so for as good as Brady Christensen could possibly be in the type of offense that we ran, um, here, you know, the, 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 the Saints passing scheme, um, I think he was he probably could fit for that. But if they really shift to something that's run dominant, I don't know how effective he's, he can be. So if they go to that, then I think Evan Neal probably should be the guy. Um, and I, and I, I'm not saying that I want them to pick Kenny Pickett at all. I think I mentioned that. But um, I think O-line should be the pick at six if they use it you know, and, and if their guy's there. Um, but these are the kind of things that go back to Matt Rule and getting this third year 
because there's no way he goes into this third year without feeling desperate. And if I was him, I know the thing that I would do is pull the, the, the rookie QB card. You know, he hasn't used it yet, you know, but he gets the sixth pick, you know, so I, I'm, it, that concerns me a bit um, for whatever is, is worth. If he doesn't get his veteran QB, who he believes can save his job, you know, I think you get a Hail Mary on, on, on draft night. And this, I want to ask this because we haven't talked about him much and this might open another half hour conversation, hopefully not, but Scott Fitterer, how much blame does he deserve in all this? Cause I, I, you see it on Twitter, some, some calling for him to be gone as well. What, what are your guys' thoughts on Fitterer in this? Does he really have much say or does it, you know, what, what do you think of that? What do you think of him? Well, Kevin, let me, Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, mean, I, I just wanted to go because I'm, I, I might have to get off before 30 minutes expire. Um, Scott Federer was a surprise to most of us last year. You know, we did some extensive background checks on, on um, GM candidates, and I thought they had a really good list of people they had interviewed. And so when they ended up going with Scott Federer, you know, this journey come lately at the, you know, at the end of what we thought, you know, was the process. I was like, wow, you know, let's let's go investigate this guy. And we know that he comes from Seattle. And I think the thing that they loved about him was his um, history of working um, closely, you know, with the coaching staff, you know, in terms of, you know, drafting and stuff like that. And, you know, I wondered, you know, what the dynamic was. I don't think anybody really knew what the true dynamic was between Marty and, and Rue. We speculated, but we didn't know. Um, but I wonder how much control Federer has had, you know, in the last year's draft, you know, especially with all the trading and willing and dealing. I really like that because that's not a Carolina-like thing to do. Um, but I also know Rue wanted to do that, or at least was rumored to want to do that in 2020. But, you know, Marty wanted his first round pick and so on and so forth. But this year I saw Federer, willing and dealing. I was like, man, you know, this guy's coming with some new age, you know, type thinking. And, you know, we saw some trades, you know, during the season you know, that I thought, you know, were, you know, were pretty cool to see, you know, from the Panthers, you know, but then when that report came out from Joe Person, you know, saying that Matt Rule has final say on, on roster decisions, you know, that made me pause for a minute. I was like, oh, I thought Federer was my guy. I thought he had some, I thought he had the stroke. And then yesterday was probably the most disappointing thing I've ever heard Federer say, you know, was, and I, I mean, maybe it made sense. It probably made sense. It just, it was just disappointing, you know, when he said, hey, you know, I'll help Matt if he wants, you know, but Matt is going to choose, you know, his guy. And I was like, oh, Lord, you know, like you're not you're not making any decisions. You know what I mean? Like, I really think. They wanted a really head coach friendly GM, you know, to basically, you know, sign off and work with um, Samir Suleiman to negotiate contracts and deals, you know, to, to make the calls to other GMs and you know, just play the role. But I think Matt Rule is the ultimate decision maker, you know, in every way. And honestly, in finding that out recently, it has made my stock in, in, in Federer fall a bit. And it's not that I don't think he can be a good gym. Uh, I like what I learned about him in the offseason, you know, last year. Um, I think he has everything it takes, but I think he was selected because of his, willingness to concede 
And, you know, like, you know what was the big red flag for me was when the guy from the Colts backed out. And what was his name? Was it Dodds? Not Dodds. Was it? Is it? Is it Dodds? Ed Dodds, um, the coach GM. Um, when he backed out, and you know, and decided to decline the interview, I was like, man, I wonder what did he hear to turn him off of Carolina. And now, I'm wondering if it was because Matt Rule wanted too much control. And um, so, you know, so I'm not out on Federer. The crazy part is I really wanted Federer to get an opportunity to select his own coach because I think GM should do that. Um, I think we've been um, very uh, misaligned, you know, since, you know, we kept Herney and picked Rue with Herney and then we moved on from Herney and picked another GM. Well, I think, you know, you should pick those guys at the same time. And if you don't pick them at the same time, you definitely need your GM to pick your coach. And so I still hope Federer gets that opportunity at some point, you know, but uh, I do have concerns for him now just because he doesn't have as much, much control as I thought he should have. And that's not a knock on him. I think he still has all the talent. I think he still has all the respect that you hear about that he has in the scouting circles and stuff like that. I think all that matters. Um, and, and plus he has his homeboy, Dan Morgan, you know, a Panther great, you know, by his side. I think they have a, the, the potential to be really dynamic. I think they can't be, you know, if Matt Rule is still heavily involved, though. So that's all I have to say on that. Kevin? Yeah, uh, I actually peeped that from the, uh, the jump that uh, David Tepper gave, got it actually contractually in Matt Rule's contract that he does have final say Ooh. over all personal decisions. Uh, when the details of his contract came out, I was like, okay, this is interesting. You're giving a college guy who only had one season in the NFL as an assistant offensive line coach, complete roster control. Um, you know, I was just like, okay, that's, that's, that's going to be interesting. So in terms, he is the de facto, you know, GM. Um, you know, Fitter is more so just a a, fit, um, a figurehead. Now, as far as your question, though, Kurt, as far as how much blood, yeah, Fitter got some blood that um, um, definitely um, on his hands. Sure, Matt Rumey gets the final say, but, you know, if you remember, guys, remember from that Camp Confidential, you know, there was a, um, and then we talked about it on the four-man rush, the twist that there was a big falling out in the draft room between uh, some of the coaching staff and Fitter and his people behind the uh, the trading back that was done on day two, um, particularly because um, uh, I think the, uh, Pat Mayer, the offensive line coach, and some of his assistants wanted to, you know, get some of those guys, and Fitter just kept trading back and back and back, traded back three times in the second round. And by the time we picked uh, – six linemen, it came out later on that six of the linemen that were wanted were, were drafted by other teams um, during all that trading back. You know, because first we start out with the 39th pick, then back to the 47th, and then all the way back to the 59th, which we ended up drafting Terrence Marshall. Um, so, you know, based on, you know, Fitter's um, resume of offensive lines while in Seattle, I just never been a fan of uh, Russell Wilson. His best, his offensive line, best overall offensive line unit 
was their Super Bowl year, and that was only 18th. So when you think of Russell Wilson and all of his heroic and magic, that's more him than his line um, all these years. And um, it's just it's just incredible. And, 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 and by, you know, Fitterer going along with, you know, Pat Fline and Cameron being signed day one of free agency, like that that's got to be one of the biggest crime. Like of all the free agent offensive linemen out there, these guys you feel like you got to spend your money on on day one. You know, first I'm thinking, okay, maybe just want to grab a couple of quick death pieces, not knowing that these were intended to be starters. Um, so for 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 the trading back and the free agency, um, yeah, his uh, his fingerprints on it too. Yes, Matt Rue does have final say, but again, this these are the same bad offensive line moves that were done up in Seattle that, you know, which caused Russell Wilson to cause a stir last offseason saying, hey, you know, I want to get, you know, if I'm traded, I want to go this, these four places because, you know, he's tired of getting beat the hell up up there. You know, and Scott Fitter post-Super Bowl has been someone who had his fingerprints over uh, who they bring in as far as offensive line in there. So, yeah, all that trading back for 11 picks was all cute. When you look at 11 draft picks, how many of them had an impact for us this year? You know, I mean, if you do the quick rundown, all right, J.C. Horn, he got injured after the third game. He's gone. Terrence Marshall, I think he's supremely talented, but, again, minimum output. Brady Christensen, um, misused, but also, you know, didn't really light the fire. Um, Tommy Trumbull, did he, does he even have 10 catches all year? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Shuba Hubbard, um, we posted um, he, by the number of touches, he's literally the worst starting, when he was starting after McCaffrey, he was literally ranked the worst starting running back in the NFL. Um, now, I do like Davion Nixon, but again, he ended up going on IR. He was he was making a splash in a defensive line rotation. Um, let's see who else came after that. Um, oh, let's not forget about the infamous long snapper. Yeah, you, know, you can't forget about him. Yeah, you know, get the call from <laughs> Rule and that 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 was and once I found out there was an association between Rule and the long snap, I'm like, so we let Trey Smith go for this shit. You know what I'm saying? Um another play predict they're getting a shy Smith. Right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what what's what was the deal with you know him not getting a lot of uh reps? Um again, and then the last one, um uh Phil Hot um Hoskins. You know what I'm saying? Um, definitely dominated and had a strong preseason. Um, even when um, Davion Nixon went out, still wasn't able to get a lot of reps. So for all those 11 draft picks that Fitter, you know, was trading back for and get, what what did that really yield us? Are we happy that we got seven dimes, you know, when we could have had five quarters? I mean, you know, um, I just – yeah, Fitter – if we're going to clean house, like you said, um, JJ, it's best that the coach and the GM are brought in at the same time because this whole thing, because y'all saw what um, – did y'all see right before we came on that the Giants went ahead and let Joe Judge go? Yep. Yeah. First, it was kind of lingering, saying, hey, he might have a say. Then I guess someone said, nah, fuck that, he got to go. You got know, go. we're going we, – it's, it's, it's got to. So, I – when rule when rule got when rule leaves, uh, Fitter can go too. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. Bryson. Uh, yeah, the the Giants said, "Look at them boys down in Carolina. 
Joe Judge got to go, man. We, we can't be in that situation. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think, it, it, in my opinion, it's hard for me to um, to really say anything about Fidder right now because, like you mentioned, at the end of the day, he doesn't have the final say on the roster. Um, he didn't have the final say when he was in Seattle. He wasn't the GM. Um, I think that Fitter has, has done some stuff, you know, trade-wise, uh, especially in the draft that was questionable. But um, I like him. Uh, I think that he has the potential to, to be a good GM um, in the NFL. And I think that if he has the uh, – finally gets the chance to be the one that has the final say, um, I think that he, he could – potentially be that GM that, that we need. But um, Matt Rule having that Bill O'Brien uh, type um, role that Bill O'Brien had in Houston, um, it, it just never works out that when the head coach – and I mean, unless you're Bill Belichick, like it, it doesn't work. So um, it just piles on to, to the things that, you know, that we've talked about all this, – this whole podcast is that Matt Rule keeps ma- making mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. And he hasn't been held accountable up to this point. And you know, yeah, somebody, you know, something that you mentioned, and this is to your point earlier, um, Curtis, you know, you mentioned Bill Bryan when we were talking about rock star offensive coordinators. And the only thing I can think of, you know, with Bill O'Brien, I'm not a big Bill O'Brien guy, um, but I do respect what he's done in the league. And, um, and I do think he may be a good offensive coordinator. I mean, I don't know you know, if he would be or not. But I do know if I saw Bill O'Brien and Matt Rule in the same room, I would look at Bill O'Brien like he was the, the alpha. And I don't know if Matt Rule, you know, considering Bill O'Brien is somebody that's used to having a lot of control at the NFL level. You know, he coached for years and had a few winning seasons at, in Houston. Even before the Sean Watson, he won in Houston. I don't know if Bill O'Brien can walk into the room, you know, with Matt Rule and not feel like he's the best coach in the room. But I don't know what to make of that. I just, but I thought about it, you know, the other day when I saw him being rumored, I was like, oh, like, how does that work? Because for as much as I don't care for, you know, B.O.B., I still believe he's a better coach than Matt Rule. And I think he's a more dominant coach than Matt Rule. In that space, I know he was able to concede this to Nick Saban, but who wouldn't at the college level, right? Yeah. You know, but coming back up, you know, like you would have to respect Nick Saban more than you respect Matt Rule, even at this level. And I'm not saying he'd go in there, he'd disrespect him or he'd be, you know, unprofessional. I just know that he would need more control, you know, personnel-wise to build what he envisions than I know, you know, I don't know if Matt Rule is willing to concede that. Um, and that's so that, exactly why Bill O'Brien is not going to be the offensive coordinator in Carolina. Right. No, that's that Speaking is Bill O'Brien. Point. I was just thinking about this. I was going I was going to post this on my Twitter later. I'm going to ask you guys what I'm thinking about it now. Fresh up. Who made the worst or the worse or trade? Bill O'Brien traded away DeAndre Hopkins or Matt Rule trading for Sam Donald? Like which trade is the most <laughs> effed up out of them two? Because you can make an argument that either. <laughs> I would say I would I would I would give Matt the slight edge in terms of the goofiest, um, only because Bill O'Brien still had a quarterback. 
right? And and honestly, when you looked at how Deshaun Watson performed without um, DeAndre Hopkins, he put up his career best year, even missing Newt. And I'm not saying that, obviously, you know, Hopkins is a game changer, and I'm sure they he could have been a difference in a couple of games, that, or a lot of the games that they lost. They went four and 12, I believe, um, in his last year there. But when you look at, you know, what Matt Rule did to the franchise in terms of setting us back, you know, by going out and getting the lame duck QB and, 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 and giving away, you know, valuable draft picks. You know, they tried to, to gloss that over last year by doing all that trading back and saying, basically, we've made up for all the trades we gave up for Sam. You know, like, ah, look at us. No, you still gave up those draft picks and you gave up, like you said, positioning to where you could have drafted offensive linemen rather than trying to get value back on draft night. And so, um, so yeah, you know, it, it, it was definitely goofier, you know, for Matt Rule to trade for somebody that everybody had saw fail, you know, for his first three years um, to trade for that guy. I think it's worse to trade for a guy that's failed than to move away from a talented guy who you don't get along with. You know what I mean? I mean, for the culture, and everybody's going to go with D-Hop, you know, but I think, you know, realistically as a head coach, if I don't think you and I get along, and, you know, and you're causing a problem for me and being a coach, and I don't know why, you know, or what ha- I do know what happened, but I'm just saying just if I'm just thinking of myself as a coach, then it's, it's going to be you before it's going to be me, right? <laughs> um, you're not going to show me up, you know. We're not going to be fussing, you know. We're not going to be going back and forth. It got to be you. And I, I don't – I don't like what he did, you know, but yeah, Matt Rude definitely was goofy in that situation, in my opinion. I'll just end on this the fit, the fitter stuff. I, I I'm kind of with Bryce. I think it's too early to tell at this point. Uh, I think he's got potential. I think some of the trade backs were were all right in acquiring more picks, but I feel like with Kevin, what he kind of said too is it also gave up some of the opportunity to get some of these other guys, um, which I think kind of hindered us, especially along the offensive line with such a loaded class. Um, And then just the decision to trade the capital they traded to get Sam Darnold was just fucking ridiculous (laughs) from the start and that they should have never done it. Um, And then to pick up the fifth year option. And I know Fitterer kind of talked about that yesterday, but that was, and I, he, I mean, it seems like Fitterer views it. I think Kevin, you guys had tweeted this out that it was like a two year, 20 some million dollar deal. I think that's what Fitterer is kind of um, viewing Sam's fifth year option in the contract. But there was no reason why they picked that option up. Let him prove himself and see what he can do. And we wouldn't be in this position we are right now. Um, so that, that, that's been my biggest frustration with him. And, we shall see. Does anyone else have anything else to add? Otherwise, we're going to wrap this thing up, I think. We good? I don't have anything, man. I, I appreciate you guys bringing me in for this last show. It was an honor, you know, to be on with Edgar earlier and with Kevin. Um, you know, most definitely you, Curtis, and Bryson. You know, you guys are always so gracious, man, and, and um, really respect you guys a lot. Um, I love the show. I love being on. Um you know, and, and I hate it. I had to end it on a negative note. Like I've been really, really negative, and most people see me as a positive Twitter guy. Um, but at some point, 
you know, you know, you got to show your ass, you know, because, you know, like we're at that point, you know, four consecutive losing seasons, man. And, um, and I'm just like the rest of y'all. Um, I grew up, I think Edgar mentioned this, you know, the culture in LA is, is win a, win a bust, right? Championship a bust. Um, I'm from South Carolina, from an hour from Charlotte, but I'm old enough to have had a team and experience another franchise and Super Bowls and winning. And I know what it's like to be part of a fan base with winning expectations. Um, coming to Carolina, you know, making that adjustment to come to the home team. I want that for the Carolinas too. And it seems like, <clears throat> it seems like we're very passive about winning um, as a, as a organization, not with the fans. I think the fans want to win, but the reality is, you know, we've been so close to winning, but not knowing what it feels like to be a championship fan base, you know, that, you know, we act out, you know, because we don't really know what it takes to win. Cam Newton being legendary, you know, um, brought us really close to that 15 in one season, a Super Bowl appearance, um, being favored, you know, like everybody felt like, oh, this is it. This is our year. But what we saw wasn't something that was sustainable. We just saw somebody being great, you know, not just him, Luke Keekley, you know, Greg Olson. Yeah, guys at the top of their games um, at the peak of a winning window. We didn't know it was so short, um, but we got so close. And so a lot of people have, you know, fans, we have these skewed views of, you know, what it takes to win. And everybody thinks they know. And I think I know somebody else has a different opinion. You know, we have thousands of people on Twitter, you know, with different takes. You know, some people agree, a lot of people disagree. But the reality is we all know what we see in front of us doesn't work, right? <laughs> and we're so far from what Super Bowl teams look like. All you have to do is just turn on to the playoffs for the next two or three weeks. And you'll see how far we are from that. You know, that's how last, last year looked to me. It's like, man, like these guys are playing at a different speed. Um, they know what they're doing. They're running routes intentionally, accurate quarterback play, good offensive line play, good special teams play, not worrying about kickers. You know, like just regular fundamental stuff done at a high level. And I'm ready to see and be part of a franchise here in Carolina where we can expect those things, right? You know, we can expect it from the owner, you know, we can expect it from the coach. We can expect it from the quarterback, playing quarterback. You know, we can expect it from the offensive line, you know, the defense, you know, the defensive line, you know, just not getting ran on, being able to run on people, being able to pass block, being able to be accurate with the football, um, kick field goals, not worried about who your kicker is, you know, just let's stop being goofy, you know. And so I hope, you know, going into – 2022, man, we figure out how to not be goofy any longer because I want to win with y'all, man. I want to come on these shows and we like having fun, you know, talking about how we kick somebody's butt, you know, not just one week, but week after week after week and how, you know, these other teams can't see us. Like, we don't even know how that feels anymore. You know, we don't even know how that feels, you know, so I'm I'm ready to do that. But, hey, man, you know, here's to a great off season, you know, Hopefully we, you know, see some surprises, you know, over the next few weeks and months. You know, let's have a great, you know, draft season, mock draft season. Um, I may do scouting the culture. 
you know, in a, you know, in a couple months with my boy uh, Vincent Richardson. I don't know yet. I don't know my motivation to be there, you know. But you know, I'm just looking forward to engaging with y'all, you know, for the offseason. I might take a, a couple weeks break uh, from Twitter. I don't know, you know. But <laughs> I just, I'm just ready to like refresh. You know, if we got to stick with the same coach, you know, at some point I got to say, man, you know, the hell with it. Let's 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 do it again, you know, and. You know, let's hope that, you know, we get a good offensive coordinator. Let's hope we get a good offensive lineman or two or three, you know, something gets figured out at quarterback and somehow we figure out a way to come out on top more than we don't in 2022. I'm tired of losing. Amen. I think we'll end it on that note. I just want to thank both of you guys for really coming on this last year for us. We started this thing in February and you guys have come on time and time again. And we, we appreciate it because without you, we wouldn't be where we are. So I just want to pre, I just thank both of you guys, both Kevin and JJ, you guys have offered a lot of insight between free agency, the draft this past year over the summer with training camp, Kevin, we hooked up at training camp. And then also during the season, we just really, really appreciate you guys. Yeah, it, was def- it definitely was fun. Um, you know, uh, definitely looking forward to us linking up at training camp in Rock Hill. Um, uh, you know, prior to last week, before being forced to work from home again, you know, I, I drove past the uh, on Interstate 77 where they're building up, and I and I've been seeing the progression. And man, that thing is going to be immaculate. Like, like they're getting ready to build their own exit um i think it's gonna be like temper boulevard or something like i don't know it's it's like it's like gonna be like exit 81 on interstate 77 um i don't know how familiar y'all are with the rock hill area but it's um i live i'm from i'm from about 30 i'm from about 40 minutes from there okay yeah it's like between cherry road which is exit 82 and dave Lyle boulevard which is exit 79 um that's that's the area and it's like you can see the big high beams of the uh the big you know where the big stadium place is going to be you see the different other buildings and structures coming up um they already got the the layout for the bridge that's going to connect on both sides like uh man like uh you know the time time here in this 2023 so hopefully you know um you know a couple of training camps from now you know we can just you know, meet up there and just have a hell of a time and just, uh, you know, just enjoy it, man. But, um, yeah, just overall with you guys, you and um, Rice Man, have fun. Thank you for letting me be me. Um, and I uh, hope I definitely uh, look forward to doing this with you guys again more, you know, if you, know, if you need me for the offseason or, or whatever. I actually plan to go to Vegas for the draft. Uh, they actually got my uh, deposit that they hold from 2020, I was supposed to went out there, but they canceled it due to COVID. So um, if it doesn't get canceled again, you know, thanks Omicron, whatever, um, I'll be uh, going out there. So, um, you know, maybe we can be out some four-man rush live from Vegas or something like that. That's awesome. Well, enjoy it. Thank you guys again. We just want to thank Edgar, JJ, and Kevin again for coming on. It's been a pleasure getting them on all throughout the season and tonight for this last episode of this season. We really appreciate them and all their insights. So thank you guys again. And we also just want to thank our listeners for dealing with us this whole year. I know it's been a tough season, but 
we do appreciate you guys tuning in and following us on Twitter. So thank you again. You can catch all of our episodes of Panthers on Tap wherever you get your podcast. Go give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap for all analysis and breaking news. And hopefully we'll be doing some giveaways in the offseason. So tune in for that. And as always, 